Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And a swing and a miss. Jack Flaherty threw 16 pitches in the first inning. The last 15 were outstanding. Heats him up with a fastball at 94 in the zone. That's strikeout number three for Flaherty. And encouraging start the first time through the year. And a swing and a miss. One, two, three, fifth inning for Jack Flaherty. Strike three at the knees. Frozen. Six strikeouts for Flaherty. One out. Little something extra on this one from Jack as well. A couple of good cutters to tie up Profar and then 96 right there at the bottom of the zone. Jack did a really nice job. Um, leaned on his slider quite a bit. Got a lot of swing and miss with it. Was able to keep it down and into the lefties, away from the righties, but um, allowed everything else to kind of play up. Mixed in some cutters, but overall, um, very good outing for the first time this year there's no yeah but with jack flaherty alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn a legitimately great outing yesterday by jack flaherty given the circumstances given how he commanded his fastball the swing and miss stuff everything was there his velocity was back to a high high level yesterday the only pitch really that was like oh really we're doing this again was the first one after that, everything else looked pretty damn good from Jack Flaherty. Finishes the day going five and a third. I liked, by the way, and we can get into this a little bit later on. I liked Ollie's decision to stick with him to try to get through that sixth inning. Ends up giving up just five hits, one earned run. It came on that home run. One walk, one walk in that outing and struck out six. Alex, all of the peripherals were there. The velo was up about a mile an hour. The slider got 10 swings and misses. Only three hard hit balls on the day, and he ended up throwing 56 strikes on the 85 pitches. That comes out to a 66% strike rate. You can't ask for much more from Jack Flaherty. Yeah, we'll want him to get deeper into games, but for right now, that's about as encouraging of a start as you could ask for. Yeah, but it was the Rockies. Oh, God. Oh, oh this guy, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to act like the Rockies are the favorite in the National League to win the World Series this I year? I saw something on ESPN.com earlier <laughs> today, in fact, here. that literally said the Rockies will keep pace this year with the L.A. Dodgers. Who? Who All was right, well. I don't know if I buy it. Who was that. the who was the player on the Rockies that you were like, oh man, I don't want to see our pitchers go up against that guy, Chris Bryant. Oh okay, yeah, Charlie Blackman. Yeah, uh, that Diaz guy because he yeah. always kills the Cardinals. C.J. Crone. Yeah, Fourth he building, always. Bryant wasn't in the lineup yesterday. <laughs> 
like, I, he still scared me. I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy, but yeah, that is the only yeah, but that comes with Jack Flaherty because the other two performances were against a little bit more high powered offenses than what Jack Flaherty is used to. With that being said, let's get back on the positive side of things. BK, Thank stop you. being so damn negative. The command is the only thing that mattered to me in that game in Colorado place where we, we broke the stats down yesterday. He's just been outstanding in Colorado in his career. Editor's note. He's never thrown a pitch in Colorado. Not true. He threw five and three to one of third <laughs> inning at uh, Colorado, but the command was everything. I, I mean, the fact that he didn't walk more than one batter, the six strikeouts, the swing and miss, but he just didn't feel like he was laboring in the at bats. It didn't feel like he was getting in unfavorable counts for Jack Flaherty. That was the most impressive part for me. That was the jumping off point to say, all right, we have the first two games out of the way. This is why you give it a three start minimum before you start judging a pitcher. And Jack Flaherty did what you needed him to do, albeit against the Rockies, yesterday. Yeah, I, you know, he looked like the Jack that I was expecting to see this season that the Cardinals just honestly desperately need uh, this year if they're going to be a team that's going to compete for a World Series. He, look, he looked like an ace yesterday. Everything looked good, and I know he didn't go deep into that game, but he probably, I, I think he would have finished the fifth if Walker catches that, or excuse me, the sixth if Walker catches that ball in right field. So I, I thought Jack looked like himself, and, and I think the one part that was really encouraging for me was when he gave up the leadoff home run. He gave up that home run to Profar on a like I think it was an 89 mile an hour fastball. Like he took a lot off of that fastball, and it got demolished into right field. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh boy, here we go again." And I, I bet Jack had that same feeling too. And he's able to bounce back and gives you a great outing. Now for me, it just comes down to okay, what's he going to look like in his next outing when he takes on Arizona? I believe on Monday, I think is when he's going to go again. What's he look like in that outing? Because that's the one that it's more important to me now because yesterday was great, but is this the jumping off point or was this just a one-off? That's what we have to find out. That's why I'm super excited to see him pitch on Monday against the Diamondbacks. So we did get this on the text line, and I figured we'd get some of this, and it's fair. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show from the 314. So let me guess. This performance from Jack is now the norm, and the other two were the outliers. That's all St. Louis sports media goes with when covering the Cardinals. Cherry picking the argument, the stuff you like is the argument that you make. Man, that's true. We suck. We do suck. I mean, I am not suggesting that the other two games were outliers at all. I'm saying that we have seen a trend with Jack, and it's a, if you're a Cardinals fan, a really positive trajectory for him. In start number one, he didn't have velocity and he didn't have command. It's not a great combination to have. Now, he battled through, and we said, hey, if Adam Wainwright had this exact same start, we'd be giving him a lot of credit. We'll give him kudos for that, but this can't be the norm for Jack. Otherwise, it's going to be a tough season for both him and for the Cardinals. Start number two, he goes out there. The velocity is up. It's back to where it was previously. I was like, okay, that's a starting point. You can jump off of that. And then the problem was, once again, no command of anything. The walks were just outrageous. What was it? 13 walks in the first 10 innings that yeah. he's thrown this year. That's horrible. It's a historically bad walk rate. I went back through the other day to try to find the other Cardinals pitchers that have done this. It never happened ever. Yeah. Uh, the only other guy that was even approaching this was one of those Carlos Martinez seasons where he was no good. So it was not a positive sign with the command. But again, velocity was up. And then start number three, you have both command and velocity. Now, start number four could revert back to one of the first two starts. That is more than possible. But if we're trending in this direction and it continues taking baby steps in the right way for a guy that is coming off of serious injury, 
and had a spring where it was a bit up and down topsy-turvy. These are the kinds of steps that you want to see. If you're optimistic, you look at this and say, all right, now we're back. Now let's go. If you're pessimistic, you look at this and say, yes, still the inconsistent version of Jack Flaherty that we've seen in the past. I don't think either side is wrong. I've been a little bit more on the pessimistic side with Jack in his first two starts of the season. I am now cautiously, cautiously optimistic. I would put myself like scale of one to 10 confidence level in Jack. I'm smack down in the middle of a five. I was at like a three going into this start. I think he bumped me up to a five because I didn't know if we were going to see that version of him again. And now that we have, I don't know how you can just say, okay, he can't do that again. He can. It's just a matter of building that consistency. Yeah, I mean, I'm on a five, two with you. But uh, the way I looked at it was, all right, that's one start. And what do you do following that one start? Because if you go out and deal the same way against the Arizona Diamondbacks, velocity is right at the norm. The command is spot on. You're getting the swings and misses then I don't know how we're the St. Louis media that's only cherry-picking certain things. Because just like we were after two starts of Jack Flaherty, where it didn't look good, and we were saying, this is problem, and everyone was shouting from the rooftops, stop overreacting, it's the first week of the season! Two more starts of Jack Flaherty, where his velocity, his command is spot on, then we're going to do the exact same reaction and say like, hey, Jack Flaherty might be back at this point. And that's good for the Cardinals. I'm very cautiously optimistic with it, though, because every time I feel like Jack Flaherty's trending in the right direction, 2021, that's when the injury popped up and then it all fell apart. Unfortunately for Jack Flaherty, and I hate this narrative, that's what surrounds him. That's the gray area that fl- that floats above him when it comes to his starts. And, and see, I think I sit at an eight on the optimistic train. Wow. I, no, granted, I was more optimistic after the first outing and the second outing. So yeah, You were I, a 10 after he walked like 13 guys yeah, in one yeah, game. It was fine. But I, I look at it and I, I think it's kind of twofold for me. Now that he's got the fastball command back, I do think that's sustainable because he's not been a guy throughout his career that has not had command of his fastball. That's something that just doesn't typically disappear out of the blue. Even with injuries, it typically doesn't just disappear. So I think that's back. And I think the other thing that was the most encouraging sign to me, and BK, you said it uh, earlier, was the 10 whiffs on the slider. If he's getting whiffs like that on the slider in Coors Field where pitchers go to die, that's the most encouraging part for me because I, I'm going to be honest, going into that start against the Colorado Rockies, I thought he was going to get lit up, even if he had commanded that fastball, just because we heard Jim Leland say yesterday, seven earned runs is basically a good start. Yeah. And if a slider is your wipeout pitch, which it is for Jack, well, good luck because that's probably not going to break. But he had great command of it. Somehow was able to get a good feel for it in the thin air in Colorado. I, I'm very optimistic. I, I, I do think his next start is going to be uh, another good one like uh, yesterday. And, and I think he's reached that jumping off point to being back in that ace category. And hopefully I'm not wrong because if so, man, we've got a lot of great audio man. from Tuesday. Tanner's like, oh, Colorado, you pitch well. You're back, my ace friend. Well, hey, Michael Samets didn't do it. Well, they're never aces. So we did Fair. get this from the 636. And it's the other thing that I wanted to get to with Jack Flaherty. Said, guys, I love seeing a good outing from Jack. Now the next step is to see him go deeper into games. You can't be considered a top end or an ace if you get removed in the middle of the sixth inning by throwing 85 pitches. That being said, big step in the right direction and loved seeing it from Jack Flaherty. Hope this is the start of something special. Do you guys remember the last time that Jack Flaherty threw more than six innings in an outing? Six and a third or longer in an outing. 2021. Was it in the playoffs in... 19? No, I could promise you it wasn't the playoffs. May 7th of 2021. It's been almost exactly two years 
since the last time that Jack went more than six innings in a game. So the texture is absolutely not wrong about this. The next step for him, if he wants to be on that like highest level version of a number one starter, do what you did yesterday and get through seven. That is the next step. But what if I asked you this? What if I said the version of Jack that you saw yesterday, that's the guy you get. You can hit this button now or you can ask for more. And he gives you five to six regularly. But they're really quality innings. You're going to love what you see from them. It's going to be good stuff. He's going to get swing and miss. He's not going to be walking a bunch of dudes, but you're getting five or six innings at a time. Essentially, you're getting a lesser version of Jacob deGrom, who over the last three seasons has thrown 225 innings over 38 starts. He does not go deep into games at this point in his career. He's five to six innings normally. But when he's going through those innings, he's got a 2.1 ERA. So he's damn good. He's basically a a highly effective reliever for five to six innings at a time. I'm not telling you're going to get a two ERA. That seems unlikely. But would you sign up for that, Alex? Or are you hoping and expecting that we start seeing him getting deeper into games? I mean, yeah, I'd sign up for it because... I mean, heck, it's better than what the first two starts were, even though he's given up all those walks. If I'm getting five solid innings, this bullpen gives me faith. But in all honesty, I won a World Series, and Jack Flaherty only giving you five innings with that stuff where there's still some skepticism. Proper word? You yeah, you got that. Nailed it. Nice. Um, you were leaking confidence, but nailed you got it. it. <laughs> no, I was never leaking confidence. I mean, like, deeper into the season, you're going to need him to pitch deeper in the game. So... I don't think I would hit the button. I think I would say, you know what? I want more from Jack Flaherty. You know what's weird? I think Jack is more important for the playoffs than the regular season, and this is exactly what I want from Jack in the playoffs. Give me five or six strong innings. I'll put it to my bullpen after that. Like, I can lock down those games. My question is, can you give me five or six strong innings right now? If I could hit a button somewhere and... I could find the innings elsewhere. I could find a way to eat innings throughout the course of the regular season. But if this locks in, it's going to be healthy all year. I get five to six regularly from him and they're quality innings. I think I'd sign up for it, man. I don't know what that means for his future here. I think it probably means it's elsewhere and it's not here in St. Louis and he doesn't get a long-term extension because you're not signing that guy long-term here. But for this season, I think it opens up a window where you could do something interesting in the postseason. T-Bone? Right now, I don't think I would press the button. Okay. You asked me in a month, maybe I would, but I still think Jack can get back to being, I, I say 2019, I don't mean Bob Gibson in the second half. I, I mean, Let's covering, just say 2021 because it covers your ass for Car- Cardinals fans to not call you out about I, him being. I, I, 2021, I, oh, you mean he's going to be injured half the season? Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I can escape being called out any, any way we frame it, but I, I think he can get back to being a six to eight inning guy in outings. I, I think he's going to find the efficiency to do so. And, and I think the Cardinals want to see that from him as well. So I, I think right now I wouldn't push the button. And also part of that hesitancy comes that I just don't think Ryan Helsley's been as crisp early on in the year. Now, if he gets better as the season starts to go along and I see the bullpen continue in the trend that we've seen early on where Verhagen, Thompson, Gallegos, and Helsley are good for legitimate arms, which I've said you need in the postseason – then yeah, but I, I, I want to see, I want to give him the chance to get to that point. So right now I would not press that button right now. I still want to see him go potentially 
seven innings and outings as we get going into this season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get to questions and answers coming up at 1145. But coming up next, the Cardinals offense finally came alive over the last couple of days. As much as we just talked about Jack Flaherty, the pitching still allowed four runs yesterday. And with the previous offensive performances, that would have been enough to beat you. We'll talk about the offense coming through next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a drive. Crush center field and deep. Daza is not going to get that one into the shrubbery. He hits that one a mile high left field. Profar going back. Nolan Arenado belts it out of here. A two-run home. Driven to right field. That's down for a base hit. And O'Neal will streak home and score. Motter on his way to second. Blackman's throw is off target. Taylor Motter provides the Cardinals some insurance. Swing, fly ball, well hit left. That ball's got a chance. The ball is gone! Another two-run homer for Nolan Gorman, and the Cardinals are back in front. When everybody gets right, it's uh, it's a pretty good lineup. We've talked a, a decent amount about it. There's guys that are, are still uh, not clicking, and uh, once they all start clicking, it'll be pretty good. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, the offense finally started to come to life over the last couple of days in Colorado. They ended up having 21 hits. 11 of which went for extra bases over the last two days that made up for the pitching, giving up 10 runs in those two games. Guys, previously, when this offense was cold, you saw that it it didn't really matter what happened with the pitching. They weren't going to have opportunities to win when you're scoring one, two, zero, one, four. That's just not going to get it done for this team. Not early on in the season, maybe later when your pitching is stabilized, but it's not stabilized right now. So you got to get this thing going a little bit offensively. Now, the offense with runners in scoring position, and this actually leaves a little bit where I actually agree with Ollie Marmel. They weren't great over the last couple of days. They were five for 14, which is fine. You're doing okay in that spot, but it's not some like overwhelming number where you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, that was unsustainable. No, what they did over the last two days is what this team should be capable of doing regularly this season. What did you see in the offense, Alex, that made you either optimistic or pessimistic moving forward? I think it was the runners in scoring position, which I know didn't look great at the end of the game. What were they, two for seven after that game yesterday? Yeah, three for seven and two for seven in the two games. But you also look at the situations that they did those scoring runners in scoring position, and that felt like a breakthrough moment for the Cardinals because... I'm thinking more so of with Nolan Arenado and the home run that he hit. And then, of course, with Nolan Gorman, like the situational hitting to me is showcasing the clutch ability of the Cardinals, which is impactful. And I just looked this up. So, so far through the amount of games that they've played, they've got somebody in the top 10 of a lot of these offensive categories in terms of doubles, home runs, RBIs, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS. So to have somebody in that conversation tells you that it's got depth rather than looking at it and saying, oh, Paul Goldschmidt's in every one of those categories. It's not one guy that's doing it. You've got five or six guys that have the ability to come up with a clutch hit. To me, it was the slugging. The slugging was back for the Cardinals offense because during that cold streak, it was mostly just singles that they were getting, and, and that's how they were getting a bunch of runners on, but they weren't 
able to capitalize because they just weren't slugging the baseball. I mean, you look at this series. I mean, yesterday you had uh, three home runs in that game, and you had uh, two doubles as well, uh, or excuse me, three doubles as well. So to me, it's just the slugging for the St. Louis Cardinals. This, this offense isn't built to go station to station. It, it should have more thump to it. it. It should be a team that is going to be top 10, hell, maybe even top five in slugging percentage. And that's what you need. If you're going to be a team that does damage in the postseason when you're facing the best of the best, you're going to have to beat slug, them by... Slug, baby, slug. Yeah. motto. Who are you yeah. supposed to be there? Were you supposed to be Tanner? Yeah, what was... The, no. Nailed it. Hey, you agree. You don't have to get all mockery about it when Man, you agree with... another T-bone three? We should have done a T-bone three today. Huh? You're right. No, but the slug, the slug. I mean, slugging is basically going to determine the Cardinals' offensive fate. I know a lot of people look at runners in scoring position and do, can they come up in the clutch? I, there is something to that. I, I don't want to discount that, but it just comes down to slugging. If you're not doing damage when you're up to the plate, especially when you get to the postseason, then you're not going to go very far. And you saw that last year against the Philadelphia Phillies. I know they didn't hit with runners in scoring position. They didn't hit for any pop. Juan Yepes was their hero, and he had one home run. I think that was like their lone extra base hit in that playoff series. Yeah. This slugging percentage, I I make fun, but it's true. That's what matters. Like even this year, there have been times where they've hit all right with with runners on, not necessarily in scoring position, but runners on. But it is a lot of that station to station, and they're not taking advantage of the new rules as much as some of these other teams, which means that they're not uh, moving on the bases prior to a hit, and therefore like. Okay, so you hit a single. It's a hard hit single, but it's going straight to the right fielder, and you've got Ronald Acuna out there. So you're not going to try to test him to go to third base. Unless okay. you're Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, of you're course, and then him. you're going to test him and going home. And then dog it. Um, but what they what we've seen from them this year is they need those extra bases to be able to send runners home. That, that's necessary for this team. And when you look at the way that they're constructed, they need those top-of-the-order guys to get on, and then you get the slugging percentage from three, four, five, six in this lineup. And that's the way that they were able to succeed over the last couple of days. It's a super simple formula. It's one they followed last year at the end of the season when they were playing well. Brendan Donovan, Lars Newbar get on, and then you've got Goldie, Arenado, and Pujols last year that are able to drive them in. This year, in game two of the series, when you win 9-6, to six, Donovan finishes with two walks in that game, ends up scoring two runs. Tommy Edmond finishes with three hits in that game, ends up scoring two runs. Paul Goldschmidt, no coincidence, is able to drive in a couple and score a couple as well in that game. Then you go to yesterday's game. Brendan Donovan gets on base once. Alec Burleson gets on base twice. Paul Goldschmidt's getting on base a, uh, three times in that game. Like Your runs are coming from the top of your lineup. That's how this team is constructed. So moving forward, that's what they've got to be able to do. And when you're getting these kinds of contributions from the bottom of the order, that is where it really gets sent over the top. Hey, batting ninth, everybody's favorite, the third baseman, Taylor Modder, with third Jack base? Flaherty on the mound. Okay, hold on. Can we talk about this? Modder at third base? What's your issue? This is kind of weird, right? What well, have like, they I, seen from Taylor Modder to suggest that this guy's going to be a see? good MLB player? And, of course, the faster pace as that one is launched. Goodbye. Taylor Modder with a line drive home run. There's been one hard hit ball by Taylor Modder, and they're living off of that with the belief that, oh, Taylor Motter might be better than what he's been for his entire 10-year major league career. Driven to right field. That's down for a base hit. And O'Neal will streak home and score. Motter on his way to second. Blackman's throw is off target. Taylor Motter provides the Cardinals some insurance. Do you ever think to yourself... 
Maybe I shouldn't open my mouth in this scenario. That'd be really good for business. It really would. I mean, not good for your business, but <laughs> great oh, for our business. What Alex is trying to say here is he's ready for the Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson yeah, show. Me too. Just ready for these scenarios to stop happening. Like, we all should have known when this guy opened up his big mouth, or I'm sorry, to his petite fair, you're, mouth. You're and in said, that cup, by the way. I never mentioned, well, Taylor Motter. Did they you think one Taylor time he Motter hit the ball really hard, it would be the best in his career? I think Tanner was trying to protect you with the open that he created there. I think he was trying to make sure that you didn't get your little feelings hurt by not including you as a part of that clip because you said plenty of nonsense about Taylor Motter yesterday as well. Yeah, I said he shouldn't be playing at third base. That was the nonsense I spewed. And I, I saw you put the little feelings in there trying to get the petite at me. The the disrespect for Taylor Motter on this show, oh. I'm just not going to stand for. This guy is a major leaguer, okay? You what don't have do? to shoot what him down. What did he do before he got that hit and had yeah, the RBI? Why didn't, he, why didn't Tanner include the strikeouts in that one? Yeah. He has now struck out in every game in which he has appeared this season. Hey, he's a free swinger, all right? Let's not take that away from him. So he, is Jordan Walker. He's batting two thirty on the season with six strikeouts and 13 at-bats. He has walk. Hey, this Jordan Walker's not walking either. Jordan Walker <laughs> is not walking either. Jordan Walker <laughs> also has a 12-game hitting streak. <laughs> yeah, Talk well, to me when Motter's there. If we played Motter every day, he'd be at that mark too. Guaranteed. Okay. Didn't they play him? He's uh, literally played five times and has th- two games in which he does not have a hit. Say, didn't he play recently against the Colorado Rockies and went over? No, no. You're just remembering wrong. Taylor Motter... Major Look, league talent. I respect the hair game. The man looks great out there. I was more surprised of him playing third base. And then, of course, he gets the hit. Good on Taylor Motter. He did have a significant hit in that game. That was an important at-bat, and he was able to come through. Credit to him for doing exactly Same that. Same amount of RBIs as Edmund. That was probably his last game in which he's going to appear as a Cardinal. Whoa. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Joey Vitale joins the show next here on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's a little sad. Sad day here on 101 ESPN. It's not a bad day, just a sad day. The Blues are finishing out their regular season against the Dallas Stars Most tonight. Most of the time when you're sad, though, it's a bad day. Game starts right here on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Alex will have your pregame coverage with Joey Vitale starting at 6. And Joe joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Joe, we appreciate the time as always. I don't know if this is a celebration or a, a sad ending for you, but congratulations on making it through yet another NHL regular season. How you doing today, buddy? Joey, Joey, Joey. Hey, I'm, uh, I'll tell you, it's a sad day because I'm going to miss 
I'm gonna miss every Thursday getting a Joey chance. I think I think we all we all need a Joey chant or at least a Alex chant or a BK or a Tan. Everyone needs that. So you need to find some friends out there that will at least once a week can when pump you up. I got this Disney World sweatshirt and it's it's a vintage one and it's got all the characters on it and I got it I think like a year or two ago when we were down in Disney and it become a kind of a chillier trip. And I got this sweatshirt and I was just kinda of rushing around and got it for me and my wife to stay warm and for the kids. And it says on the top, let the good times roll. And it's all like in these pastel. It's a really ugly sweatshirt. But anyway, so my point is, every day I'm having a bad day, and my wife will say to me, hey, sometimes you just got to put on that let's let the good times roll sweatshirt. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go put on the let's let the good times roll sweatshirt with Disney World, and I'm going to start feeling better. And every time I put that doggone sweatshirt on, I do, in fact, feel better. Uh, I'm going to miss the chance and the hoots and hollering, guys. But it, it is certainly a silver lining. going to be a good long off season for everyone involved, or a chance for a reset. But, but certainly sad, as, as Alex and I were talking about yesterday, BK, on the air. You know, you see the sun out. You just finished the Masters. You're seeing the Cardinal red around town. This is when our brains is automatically kind of programmed to, all right, here come playoff hockey. This is a great time to be in St. Louis. And to not be a part of that. Uh, this year, uh, first time in a very long time for St. Louis Blues fans, is it, it, it is sad. I have to be, I have to be real about that. Joe, the good news is you've got kids. I've got kids, and I ask my kid to say something, she'll say it. So I just ask my kid to just walk around the house and chant Alex. I would imagine yours would do the same thing for you, right? <laughs> no, they, they chant money, dad, money, <laughs> money, dad, money, dad, dad, uh, wipe me, diaper, chain, food, yeah. dad. You know, it's not so much Joey, but no, it's certainly going to be a lot of fun. And I think for a lot of these players, you know, Tori Crew just had a child. You know, Brandon Sott was talking to him the other day. They have children. And as my good friend Keith Yandel brought up, I'll never forget this, four years ago, uh, he came in after a day off. And I said, hey, Keith, how was your day off? And it was right when he had his second baby. And he goes, day off. It's day on, baby. Day on. Every day away from the rink's day on. So it's certainly going to be a summer on for a lot of these guys with kids. And it'll be a summer on for a lot of them that are trying to improve in this offseason as well, Joe. If you look to this offseason, um, and I know there's still one game to be played, and you guys will break that all down tonight here on 101 ESPN, but as you look at what we've seen the last month, you look towards the offseason, who's the guy that in your mind has changed his trajectory the most? So based on what you thought of him previously to where you're at right now, who's the guy that's changed your opinion of him the most this year, Joe? You know, that's a, it's a really good question, BK. Uh, there, there are a couple players that, that stand out. You know, I think I'm going to go with Torpchenko for what we've seen out of him from just his personality, from his grit, his competitiveness. He brings in every single game. I think that this is going to be uh, a culture-changing summer for this team. And I think that so much of the culture that needs to be changed is they need more committed night in, night out, consistent hockey players. You know, players like Braden Shen, who put their heart on the sleeve every single night for the most part. I mean, again, you're not going to do it every single night, 82 games a lot. You know, but can you count on a player to go 68, 69, 70 games to be that consistent lightning rod like Torpchenko certainly has proven uh, down the stretch of this season? Uh, You know, the other player, too, and I think that, to answer your question, I think Colton Pareko. And And I say that because I think a lot of people have, seen him as having maybe a step back this year, especially the first half of the year. I've really loved his second half. And, you know, I say Colton Pareko because this is going to be a, a franchise just game changer for the St. Louis Blues. He's not there yet. He'd be the first to admit that. You know, I think when you lose Petrangelo and then you lost Jay Bomeister are all within about a year span, right? The reins kind of had to be handed off to Colton Pareko. And was he completely ready for that? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, there are certain signs that say that maybe he wasn't. Right. No fault to him, by the way. You know, as we talked to Tom Stillman in the booth last night, 
you have to give these players patience. It takes a lot of time sometimes. Even the best in the world, Nathan McKinnon, he really didn't start really blossoming and exploding into his late to around his fifth or sixth season. He's one of the best players in the world, right? So for a Colton Fraco, who now is going to be this, this franchise leader down the road, I think it's, it's very comparable to looking at him like a Jay Bomeisher. Jay Bomeisher didn't make the playoffs for the first basically decade of him and himself into the National Hockey League. And look at the way that's turned out. So I look at Torpchenko for different reasons, and I look at Colton Pareko, and I'm excited to see him just continue to take that next step forward, which I think he will make um, heading into next season. Joe, you, you mentioned Braden Shen and just kind of how he's played this season and that meaningful game where he essentially nearly lost a finger and still fought through to help the Blues win. I know it's it's not till next season, but in your opinion, do you feel he's the next captain for the Blues? I do. You know, I, I do. I think that, you know, lots can still be done and said about what's going to happen in this offseason, Alex. But let's just make the assumption that, you know, you don't sign Ryan O'Reilly. You know, let's make the assumption that you don't bring in a Jonathan Taves, uh, another captain that's going to be floating around. Obviously, we heard the news today that he's going to play in his final game in a Blackhawks uniform tonight. You know, but it, I bring him up not because I think we need him, but I bring him up because there could be some captain material players available this summer aside from Ryan O'Reilly. But let's make the assumption that all the captains and good leaders are not going to come in and, and play for the Blues next year. I think, I think Braden Chen's your next captain. You know, I think that not only the way he competes, he plays on the ice, he has that, that leadership professional quality about him. He, he's old school. Uh, you know, when, when, things aren't going right. He's, he's vocal about it. When the game needs a, a fight or a scrap or a hit, he seems to always be ringing the bell that he's up for the challenge. He's a student of the game. He reads the game very well. Sometimes the game needs a goal. Sometimes the game needs a hit. Sometimes he needs a big face off, right? Sometimes he needs a fight. And right. He, he's very good about understanding what a game needs in certain situations. And that certainly is a leadership quality. Uh, and then quite frankly, as, as we've been around this team a lot, just a very well-liked individual. And I think if you were to put it up for a vote, uh, even though most NHL teams do not do this, you see this in youth hockey a lot as far as voting who they believe should be the captain. If it were to be a vote, I think the overwhelming answer, maybe if not everyone, would have Braden Shen as, of course, the captain. And again, that just speaks volumes to his character, how much he cares about players next to him and around him. He treats people respectfully. He treats, obviously, us broadcasters and, and everyone in the business very, very well. He's wonderful with the Blues for Kids Foundation. I mean, uh, his donation of his time, all those little things add up to big things when it talks about being a captain in a leadership role of a National Hockey League team. And, of course, Braden Shen checks all those boxes. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Final question that I've got for you, Joe. We'll get you out of here on this one. Pavel Buchnevich has spent most of the last month or so at center now. I would say, like, 90% of the job, he's done every, every bit as well as anybody could have expected him to. Uh, the one real obvious question mark is with the face-offs where he's 30% on the season. When you look at Pavel Buchnevich, do you think he will be lining up at center or on the wing opening night of next year? And Joe, how does that influence what this team needs to do in the offseason? You know, I think that if Doug Armstrong had to choose I think he goes out and finds a centerman for Pavel Buchnevich and you move him back to wing. And that, that's only based off of what I've seen. And he, I think he's been fine. He's been good at center. I, I feel like he's more comfortable as a winger. Now, remember, when he got drafted, he was actually a centerman before he went to the Rangers. The Rangers end up flipping him to a wing position, right? And, of course, there were many reasons for that. But, you know, obviously it, it worked pretty well. 
for the New York Rangers. The Blues, of course, acquired him as a winger as well. So there are many cocky eyes that see him as a, a, more of a natural winger. I think he is fully capable. And if there's any player on the team that was capable this year to move to center, it was him because he is so good and so stifly there in the defensive zone. So I liked that they gave it a shot. But if I'm Doug, Doug, Doug Armstrong heading into this offseason, and if I had two choices, do I find a winger for Bucinavich at center, or do I find a center and move Bucinavich to winger? I, I'm choosing the latter. I'm looking for a centerman, a more natural centerman, you know, good on draws, um, that can focus on the defensive zone, and then allow Paul Bucinavich to really just go out there and be him, which I think is, as a winger, you know, I find that he, he picks his spots so well. In the D zone, he's, more of a, he's guarding, and then he can jump into certain situations. And I think that at times, uh, maybe it looked a little overwhelming for him at center, especially on a team that certainly has not been defending very well. So to answer that question, um, BK, I think that I think you go out and you look for a centerman this year, uh, someone strong down the middle. Teams are built down the middle. You've got to be strong down the middle. We, we've seen that all, all throughout the, the league. All the best teams that are going to compete for that cup this year are strong down the middle. And I think that, to me, that is a huge piece for Doug Armstrong uh, heading into this offseason. Joe, you've done an excellent job this year on the broadcast. It's been our pleasure to be able to have you on throughout the Blues regular season as well. Thanks, as always, for hopping on with us today. We wish you the best during this offseason. We'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Hey, sounds good, Alex. BK Tanner, you guys do a wonderful job. Love listening to you during the day. We always have you on when I'm picking up my, my youngest from <laughs> from school midday. And I uh, love hearing the voices. You guys break everything down. So good luck to the Cardinals, of course. And we'll be speaking to you guys. You See got you, Joey, Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN as he does each and every week throughout the blue season. I always appreciate his time. We uh, we want to have a conversation about what Joey said in that interview. About Which let part? the good times go? Well, that for sure, but um, about a potential free agent signing? Who? Patrick Kane? No, not Patrick Ooh, Kane. Yeah. No, not Ryan O'Reilly either. Jonathan Taves? Anybody up for a little, little Jonathan Taves action? Can I be honest? Yeah. No. I, I wish I, ha- I could find the cup, but I would just play, uh, who was it, Dreger? He can't skate. <laughs> well, he can't play because he's been injured a lot. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my yeah. thing. Like, he can't skate. W- would I sign up for Jonathan Taves of two years ago? Absolutely. Would I sign up for this version of Jonathan Taves? I, I think my answer is no because the upside is super limited and the downside is obviously significant. I, and he's 35 and years old. And I think old. you're past that to where you need to bring in somebody who could be a leader. Your leadership is in your team right now. And if you bring 100%. somebody in who you're trying to mold into a leader, like Ryan O'Reilly's a different entity because you could bring him back and everybody's cool with it. Patrick or Jonathan Taves, it just wouldn't make sense to bring in a 35-year-old who may have two more years and say, oh, he's our leader now. Because I, If you're going that route, just bring back O'Reilly. Yeah. Like, if you want somebody in, and they're different players, of course, but if you want somebody in the Jonathan Taves, like, he's a winner, he's got all the leadership qualities, he's on those last legs, but he can come into the room and make everybody better, just go resign Ryan O'Reilly in that scenario. But you also have him in Braden Shen. Like, exactly. You've got Braden Shen, who is a better version of Jonathan Taves right now. Yeah. Okay, I, I just wanted to I would the not air, do that. Because if I'm listening as a Blues fan, I'm thinking, oh, I could get Jonathan Taves. Instead, I would rather go out and get a mid-20s, maybe upper-20s centerman. And let the good times roll, baby. T-Bone, who's it? Who's the band? Uh, I think it was Slade. I don't know. I went like through like four different versions of that song. Coming up next, we're getting into questions <laughs> and answers. That is not the version that I thought you were going to choose. That was not Here the on one either. On ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. 
Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. To HR issues, have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I promise no more random rate or uh, songs from what the 60s. Play the no, that play, be play the, the one from the 1800s that you found. Oh, okay. That one is more typical of Tanner Hendrickson. Yeah, it's BK. Yeah, this one he played. Oh, yeah. Tanner preferred this one. This is like this is like. I actually know this one. <laughs> this is creepy. That's a good one. It's really creepy. It's like those black and white films with like some random little kids singing. Oh, I, I was thinking. I was. I had the right That's idea. That's the type of song that you hear in a like empty. <laughs> He's never been more disappointed with himself. That's the type I, of. I could have sworn this is the right one. I swear this is the right one, but I'm told no. Baby, let the good times roll. Get the car I have it somewhere. Tanner's also defeated. found Jimmy Allen. I don't even know who the hell Jimmy Allen is. Hey, he's a country singer. No, I knew it was great him. singer. Of course, Alex knows him. Great singer. Love uh, Jimmy Allen. All right, let's get into questions and answers. From the 314, Alex, I think this one's directed at you. With the Penguins and the Capitals missing the playoffs this year, is this the official end of the era for Ovi and Crosby? Um, I I don't think... That's crazy. It is. I don't think so because Ovechkin's team just... I mean, they were... They were destroyed by injuries this season. I mean, TJ Oshie was out for half the season. So was Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom. They'll be better next year they've got a ton of cap space and basically just need to sign a couple of defensemen their team can be competitive Pittsburgh's the intriguing one and I think this was more general manager malfeasance than anything Ron Hextall at the trade deadline didn't make any trades other than acquiring Mikel Granlin and then said our team can beat anybody in the playoffs and then choked against the Chicago Blackhawks in the second to last game of the regular season they don't have cap space. They've got talent. I mean, it's not like Sidney Crosby's a bad player, nor is Evgeny Malkin. You've got Jake Gensel. Their problem is that defensively, they've spent money on a ton of guys who probably can't qualify as top four defensemen, and they got a general manager who doesn't know how to general manager. Do you know the last time that both teams missed the playoffs? I would say prior to Crosby and Ovechkin being drafted, there 2003. 0506. It was the it was the last mm-hmm. time that both of those teams were not in the playoffs. So in the last wow. 15 years, if I you've had at least one of them represented in the Eastern Conference playoffs. If I were a betting man, I would say Penguins will be back in the playoffs next year. Washington, I'm sorry, flip it around. Washington will be back in the playoffs next year. Penguins will be an intriguing one. Led the, by Tory Krug running their top yeah. power play unit. The other thing about those teams is you cannot punt at the end of those guys' careers. No. Well, like Washington won't allow it. Ovechkin said, I'm not going into a rebuild. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be 38 years old next year. You're, you're not keeping him around as a 38-year-old to rebuild. It makes no sense at that point. And I know this sounds crazy. They're not going to do this, which is why I'm saying you're you're not rebuilding. You'd, you'd rather trade him for whatever the assets are that you can get in return. Now, Pittsburgh's the one that I find really interesting, Alex, because they don't have a trap door. Like, there's no way out of this. Yeah, they, they're screwed. They put themselves all in with this core group of players, and now they're like, okay, this isn't good enough. What can we do to get out of this scenario? I, I don't know how they do it. I, I don't know how they get out of their, their current predicament. Now, they were two points out of the postseason, so it's not as if they were a terrible team that has no chance of getting back next year. 
But they've got some real issues, and I don't think that's a team that's getting better with time. They're getting worse. So I, I don't know. I don't and, know what happens there. And to the Penguins' point there, that that's why Doug Armstrong tries to, I don't know if he tried, but is as cold-hearted as he, as he yeah. has been. So he doesn't get stuck in bad contracts like what the Bacchus one would have been. Or How, I mean, how I, I about the Chris Letang one? Been that yet, that but Chris Letang is going to be there until he's 42 years old, and he's making $6.1 million. And they did that. That was a Doug Armstrong move, not in terms of his age, but in terms of the, the length of the contract, because they were like, okay, what can we do to keep this cap hit lower now so that way we don't get crushed up front and find a way to make this all work? And, and so they made it longer, and... He's just not the player that he wants. He had his worst season since 2016, where he only played half of the season. Yeah, they're they're in trouble, man. They're mm-hmm. they're in a really tough spot to be able to find a way through. And this again, thing. they don't have a general manager that you trust in, like the Blues do with a Doug Armstrong. Uh, speaking of the NHL playoffs, Alex, we'll get a little bit further into this here in the next couple of days. But do you have a pick? Like, who do you think is going to get out of the East and the West? Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, the first round is going to be really entertaining. If I had to place my money down right now, Boston's going to be the team that prevails in the Eastern oh, Conference. Okay, chalk. Yeah, chalk, a team that is like a plus 127 this year in goal differential. That Florida doesn't matter. Some. President's Trophy winners never some. get to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's true. That's why I'm not betting on <laughs> yeah, them. They didn't no. beat in the first round. Yeah, yeah. you're right. The Thanks Detroit to Red Wings, the team that also had the previous uh, most wins and points record, they didn't make it to the Stanley Cup that year. That's what I'm saying. They lost, but they didn't make it. Now, I didn't say Boston's going to win the Cup. I said Boston makes it to the Cup. Um, I, I believe the team that makes it out of the Eastern Conference is Colorado. The, the Western oh, Sorry, the Western Conference is Colorado. Detroit. So Dallas, if they get bumped to play Minnesota in the first round, Dallas is going to wipe the floor with the Minnesota Wild. Watching them play last night, they're a well-oiled machine. I really hope Vegas wins tonight, or Vegas loses tonight and Edmonton wins, because then I can see Jonathan Quick lose to the LA Kings in the first round. Um, I, I, I believe out of the Pacific, the LA Kings will venture into that. Out of the Central, it will be Colorado. And then it's just a matter of who comes out on top. And I would pick the... Uh, Western Conference to beat Boston in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I have got Vegas versus Carolina. Oh, I had Carolina too. Carolina is about to lose the number one spot in the Metro Division. Huh? There are four wins in their last ten. They have no goal scoring. Guess what they do really Still need well to end the playoffs. At, you know what? I am a little biased here because every time I see Carolina when they play <laughs> they against the Blues, great. I'm they like, great. This is the best hockey team I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> I don't understand how well, anybody beats them. But the problem is <laughs> they lost. They lost Max Pacioretty for the rest of the season, and then who? Else, they they lost another one of their forwards for the rest of the season. I forgot who it was. It's gonna be fine. Texan will help me out. They'll but, make a trade. Yeah, I mean a team that a team <laughs> yeah. that has relied solely yeah. on low scoring games. Uh, they'll be fine. I uh, so I like Carolina, and then probably because they looked great when they played the Blues too. I'm I've got the LA my, Kings. I, I've got the LA face. Kings and Carolina getting to the. Uh, the Cup only final. way I I think it's LA Kings versus Colorado in the Western Conference Final. And Svechnikov is out. Yeah, Svechnikov is out. That's who it was. <laughs> I'm changing yeah, my, that's what I'm I thought. I told my, you they don't need him. I told you. And Frederick Anderson, a man who cannot win a game in the playoffs, is their goaltender. All right, I'm going to Florida now. Um, Florida's the team. I, I tell you what, though, like New Jersey and New York is going. Although Did you say you're going with Florida. Yeah, they're taking out Boston the first. <laughs> Florida, they're not even going to play Boston I, in the first round. They are on pace to play Florida. If they win tonight, they're playing. No. Who the they Islanders play will take Boston. Who they play tonight? Florida. Who they got? Uh, they've got a ter- Oh, they've got Carolina. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. not winning that. Oh, they're winning that. I promise no, you they're, they're winning not. that. I'm telling you, 
Florida takes whoever plays Boston first round the takes thing. them down. Florida or the Islanders. I, I thought New Jersey was going to be able to take down the Rangers in the first round. New Jersey's about to jump over Carolina for the top spot. Carolina's going to lose to the Rangers in the first round of that playoffs. I'm still not sold on Toronto beating Tampa. Tampa has been awful this season, but I'm still not sold on Tampa losing to Toronto in the first I round. I considered Tampa as my pick. Yeah. Because yep. it's Tampa. Like, yeah. I, I don't and care. Vasilevsky will through the regular season. It, it doesn't yep. matter. They, they have... They're the team that you just continue picking until they don't get there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Golden Warriors. State. Yeah, I was yeah. just about to say, they're like the Warriors of the NBA where it's like, yeah, everybody you know, they really in the don't NBA care. playoffs is like, oh, bleep. We got to take <laughs> on like a six-seeded Golden State Warriors team that sleptwalk through the season and they didn't have Andrew Wiggins for half the year. Like now we got to see that team. Cool. Awesome. I, Can't wait. Also, the team that I'm not sold on that everybody's like, oh, Edmonton's going to win the whole thing. Edmonton might not get out of the second round. So this is one thing it... We talked about this the other day with the NBA playoffs. You look at the points for the East and the West. I mean, outside, of course, like Boston, Boston is the, the outlier. Juggernaut. Everybody's between like 105 and 110 points. Yeah, that's what it takes to These make the playoffs. These teams are all the same. Mm-hmm. None of them are perfect. They've all got flaws, clearly. And all of them are pretty freaking good. You know, it's so interesting, too, because the narrative about this Blues team is, oh, we'll go out there and get a great defenseman and you'll be a better team. Show me a team in the Western Conference that is dominant defensively. Well, that, yeah, that's why I've always stated if they can figure out the way to win with this current iterate, this current identity that they have, they're going the way that every other team in the league has. Yeah. Colorado, uh, Edmonton, Dallas, LA, Seattle, night. Winnipeg. Dallas has a little bit like... These teams are all building the same way. They're all trying to build with speed. It's almost flipped where the Eastern conference is now the like brute force strength defense goaltending and the Western conference is like, Hey, let's be as high flying as humanly possible. It's weird. I, uh, I, I can't I like wait it. for this first round. It's going to be really exciting with some of these matchups. All right. Coming up next, Nolan Gorman is changing his own narrative and he is right now on pace. To become an all-star, which me and Alex tried to convince T-Bone of before the season. We'll oh, tell you about so it next year on 101 5 We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fly ball, well hit left. That ball's got a chance. That ball is gone! Another two-run homer for Nolan Gorman, and the Cardinals are back in front. Swing drive, hammer right field, hammer-pushing, and the Cardinals take the lead. He has an answer for a lot of different pitches and locations um, compared to last year, but in his overall demeanor and just his, his poise, there's a calmness to him, there's a confidence to him. Um, he knows he's good, and... Uh, He's taking the field with that demeanor every day. So it's been fun to watch. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I've been trying to tell you guys, watch out for Nolan Gorman. My dude is batting 300 on the season now with a slugging percentage on the season of 750. It's been super impressive. And over the last two days in particular, not only is he hitting for power, he's hitting for meaningful home runs late in these games to put the Cardinals on top you, or to give them a significant lead. You remember my Ferrario five BK where I said number one on that list was Nolan Gorman was going to be an all-star this season. Bold predictions from, T- uh, yeah. from Tanner Hendrickson that Alex Ferrario stole. And he said, Nolan Gorman going to be an Ferrari all-star this year. I said, this is exactly what's going to happen. So mark it down because the Ferrario five is always correct. So I wanted to look back. 
back. And if you're going to say this is a cherry pick stat, you are absolutely correct. But here we are. That's all we do. Cardinals players age 23 or younger. So young Cardinals to hit at least four home runs in the first 12 games of the regular season. You ready for this? Hit me with it. Here's a list of them. Albert Pujols, Nolan Gorman. Oh, my God. We have two Albert Pujols on our team. Nolan right. Gorman and Juan Yepes who can't play over Taylor Monter. If you want to expand right. it. Just think about these names and what kind of players these guys were early in their careers as I say them, okay? MLB players age 23 or younger to hit at least four home runs in the first 12 games of their team's season. This is over the last decade. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna, Badu, Bichette, Grisham, Bellinger, Acuna, Albies, Lindor, Mazzara, Story, Harper, Machado, Trout. Can we go back to the Badu? Is that a made-up yeah. name? Who was the third name? Uh, he's the young prospect for the Tigers. Oh, never heard he, of him. He came out and was like gangbusters early on. Akil Badu, yeah. I believe is how you pronounce his name. I don't buy that. That's made up. Uh, left-handed hitter, outfielder for him last season. Didn't go particularly well. But his first year, it was good. It was, it was an above-average first season. Jesus. Um, All right, so that's the outlier. That's the Nolan Gorman comp. Co- Whoa. No. <laughs> no. no. What the? <laughs> that's the outlier. Every other guy on this list, you're like, yeah, go be Cody Bellinger. Don't be go Badu. be Acuna. Go be Albies. Go be Lindor. Go be Trout or Harper Machado. Store any of these guys. Just don't be Badu. Don't need a Badu. Moral of the story, if you do this, you become a really good baseball player because it's incredibly hard to hit the ball like this, this early in the season, this often, especially at that age. Nolan Gorman, this offseason, it felt like every time we talked about him, it was either one of two things. One, ah, can he be an all-star second baseman? Can he play defense at second base? What is he as a player? Or two, man, it's time to trade him. Like those were seemingly the two routes that this could go for Nolan Gorman with the Cardinals. Alex, you look at the early portion of the season and the way that things have trended. Nolan Gorman is a member of the core of this team now. You're not trading him. This is a guy that you are now building around. Him, Jordan Walker, those are the two, I would say, that you can say right now, five years from now when we're looking at the Cardinals lineup, I expect them to be in it. Every other Cardinals player that's currently on the roster, eh, you could go one way or the other with. But five years from now, I'm pretty confident Gorman and Walker are going to be in that line. It's lineup. interesting because when the Juan Soto thing happened last year and everybody just latched on to Dylan Carlson being the main piece that they weren't willing to walk away from because that's what John Moselec was vocal about. What they're forgetting is the Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walkers that were going to be a part of that deal. And those are the core pieces of this team. Somebody said Nolan Gorman's the first baseman for this team in five years when Goldschmidt calls it a career. I don't know where he's going to be playing. Makes a lot of sense if it's first base. But you're offense is centered around Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker moving forward and you're seeing it and the part for me with Nolan Gorman was in the offseason I forgot who had the piece I think it was Derek Gould talking about how he spent all offseason working on recognizing those fastballs and finding ways to hit those up in the zone fastballs because it was his I mean it was his kryptonite last year now that's where he's been having some success on some of those pitches. Like he's recognizing pitches better. He's understanding the strike zone and you know, the raw power is there. Like it doesn't surprise me that he's showcasing this power. That's what got him to this level. What's surprising me is his ability to recognize the, the, the strike zone, the pitches that are coming at him and adjust on the fly. I think one of those home runs, whether it was yesterday or two days ago, I mean, he, he moves his hands inside to adjust to that inside pitch and takes it deep. That's the impressive part. Yeah, the, I, I've loved everything about his game so far this year because 
the, the reason I didn't want to move him in the offseason because he was in those like Sean Murphy conversations or would Toronto have interest in him if he went and got Kirk or Jansen was because there's just not a lot of left-handed bats that have that just that pure power uh, that Nolan Gorman displayed in his short sample size up at the big league level last year. What what I love about it, as you mentioned it, he, he looks comfortable and he's willing to lay off that high fastball and lay off breaking balls in the dirt. I mean, his walk percentage right now, and look, the power's great from him. His walk percentage is up to 18%, double from where it was last year. I, I don't know if that's going to sustain all here because that would be insane if it did. But I... I, I do think he is going to draw more walks, increases on base, and I think also just that patience at the plate now is going to lead to the uptick in average because last year hit 226. I don't think he's going to hit 313 like he is, but could he hit like between 260, 280? I, I think he could. I, I think he could almost put together a year that you saw from Tyler O'Neill in 2021 to where he's got the power and he's hitting for average and he's getting on base at a decent You think he clip. could be an MVP? I, I think he could get into the conversation. I don't know if he'd win it because it'd be tough with Goldie and Arnato on your team. And God, Goldie's yeah. off to a Goldie's great start. Goldie's ruining my Arenado hope. But I, I, I think he could get into that conversation. For all the conversations we've had over the last two years of can Tyler O'Neill get back to that form and make this a legitimate MV3 that the Cardinals have been looking for since 04. I, I think the new name that's putting his uh, stamp on this team is Nolan Gorman. I mean, they bumped him ahead of O'Neill in the lineup yesterday. You remember the Kyle Schwarber, the version of Kyle Schwarber that we talked about? Just what I was going to say. When he was a free agent, he was coming off of the year where he was traded from the Nationals to Boston, finished that season batting 265, had a 375 on base percentage, and hit 32 home runs that year. That is what I think a best-case scenario season looks like for Nolan Gorman, where he's hitting for power, he gets like a 270 ish batting average, but also has that really nice on-base percentage because he's taking his walks. And what's been so impressive to me this year about Nolan Gorman, and if you look at any of the nerdy advanced numbers, they'll show you this, he's not chasing anything. If you're throwing him anything outside of the zone, man, he's spitting on it constantly. Last year, that was the kind of thing that you would get him on, where it's like, okay, he's when he hits the ball, when he connects, he's going to hit it a mile. His no-doubt home runs were up there with the best in the league. But there were times where I was like, man, I, I'm just not sure he's ever going to be able to get over this chase rate issue that he's got, where he's swinging and missing so much. And he still swings and misses a decent amount. I'm not telling you that he doesn't have that in his game. That's always going to be a part of what he's doing. But... Last year when he went up to the plate, 31% of the swings that he took, he was chasing out of the zone. He was chasing that stuff out of the zone. This year, 15%. He has cut that in half. Dude, that's among the best in all of baseball. You're suddenly seeing a guy that's going up there with like Matt Carpenter type of an eye in terms of his pitch selection and then has the power of a Kyle Schwarber. That is an unbelievable type of a player to be able to have in the bottom third of your lineup on a consistent basis. I I couldn't be more impressed with what we've seen so far from Nolan Gorman. And this brings us to kind of a bigger picture question about the way that this team is constructed. Nolan Gorman's not very good defensively. Now, I think he's better. I don't think he's as bad this year as he was last year, but he's made, especially the rundown, the rundown play. play that we saw the other day. That was a bad moment for him, and it, it didn't end well for the Cardinals. But... He's not an above-average defender, I think it's fair to say, at second base. You look at this outfield defense, it is not what we've become accustomed to here in St. Louis with Jordan Walker making another misplay in right. Alec Burleson just doesn't have the speed in left field to be a consistent above-average defender out there. And then in center field, I think your average-ish 
with both Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. Maybe you can argue Dylan Carlson is above average, but he's certainly not what you had with Harrison Bader out there. And I don't think anybody wants to argue that right now. Do you guys think that this slugging percentage, this slug baby slug version of the Cardinals can outslug, metaphorically speaking, their issues defensively? Or do you have real concerns about what they are right now defensively? I don't, and I don't even know if it's the slugging can outperform the defense because I think the defense is going to be fine as the season moves along. Jordan Walker, it's just the growing pains of it all, and I I believe that the more and more Jordan Walker moves through the season, the more confident he'll become in right field. Lars Newtbar returning to the outfield when he does is going to calm things down, I believe, and I'm not as stressed when it comes to that center field position like Tyler O'Neill just doesn't take the the best jumps at sometimes but still makes the play same with Dylan Carlson and second base I just don't know how much Nolan Gorman's going to be playing at that spot so I, I uh, the, the offense has shown the ability to outslug their their errors on defense but I also don't know if this defense is going to be this bad as we move deeper into the season I I think you can get away with the slugging in the outfield over the defense if the pitching staff continues to has have a, I don't know if I want to call it a rise, but continue to see more swing and miss from it. So essentially, if Jack Flaherty is the guy that we saw in Colorado and you see that swing and miss in Montgomery's the guy that we've seen early on, and then you get an uptick from somebody else, probably Steven Matz would be the guy, or um, yeah, actually probably would just be Steven Matz, Michaelis maybe. If you can get three guys that have decent swing and miss in your rotation, I think you can get away with it. But from what we've seen early on where the rotation is more pitch to contact, no. Even for how much the outfield is slugging, you can't have a bad defense behind your pitching staff in the outfield because it's going to cost you runs. And that's why I, I think it comes down to Jack Flaherty is going to be the driving force in how they're going to have to approach this outfield because if Jack Flaherty's getting swing and miss and he looks like an ace, then, okay, you can kind of get away with some of the defensive lapses you're going to see from the outfield. And that also goes to Montgomery, some of his swing and miss. I'm not saying he's got to get to the level that Jack Flaherty's at, but can he kind of close that gap just a little bit? I think the way that this gets fixed is with Lars Newbar. I, I think we have underestimated the importance of Lars Newbar to this team. We talked about him all offseason. The Cardinals did at least as he's the one guy in the outfield that's guaranteed an opening day uh, roster spot in terms of starting in the lineup on opening day. The other guys were all competing for their spot. You didn't know who was going to start where or if they were even going to start for the Cardinals. Newbar was the one that they had locked in. And so as I look at what your defense is out there, Jordan Walker is an adventure right now, but it's not because he doesn't have the skill. His adventurous decisions, routes, tracking of the ball, it's an experience. Like the Cardinals for years have said, we need to keep him down, whoever he is, different players in the minors because they need to get better defensively before we bring them up. That actually would have made sense this year with Jordan Walker. Obviously, you couldn't do that because look at the bat. Like it's it's worth playing up in the big leagues because of what he gives you offensively. But the defense is a liability to you right now. And you're hoping that over time that gets better. He will grow with the position as he gets older and he gets more experience in these different ballparks. Meanwhile, with Lars Newbar and left, you've got a plus defender at a minimum. And then you've got at, at worst average to above average in center field. I think you're really good at first and third. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I think you're really good at shortstop when Tommy Edmonds there. And I think Brendan Donovan is above average at second. So you're starting defense infield and outfield. I think you're above average when Lars Newbar gets back. So I think a lot of this is just you've got two corner outfielders right now that aren't good at the job. 
and when Lars Newbar gets back, as long as he's hitting, you're going to be fine. See, I, I still think even if you have Newbar and left, you're below average in the outfield because I think Walker's below average, and I think I think O'Neill's below average in center. I, I don't think Tyler think O'Neill's a good center fielder. I, I To me, he just doesn't have the whether it be the first step or just the lack of experience in center field, he doesn't look comfortable in center field, in my opinion, to where I, I feel Carlson is that him. guy? Well, if Carlson's in center, then I, I think it takes the outfield. I think it takes the outfield above average. But right now, they seem to be still running with Tyler O'Neill in center field. And I, I think don't know that's how I can going. say that when Carlson's hurt. Like the last couple of days, it very well might have been Carlson that was getting the starts in center but field. I, I but the reason fair, that he didn't is because he ended up getting hurt with that neck impingement the other night. But... To be fair, Tyler O'Neill took that opportunity. He's played well the last two days. Absolutely. But I, to me, if you have O'Neill in center and Walker in right and Newt Barr in left, I think the outfield as a whole is slightly below average. Coming up next, we got to talk about the pitching side of things. And Matthew Libertor, who is opening the eyes of not just scouts, but now Cardinals fans with what he's doing down in AAA. Are we going to see him sooner rather than later and potentially a six-man rotation here in St. Louis? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If he has another good one and somebody else struggles in this rotation, I give Libby a nod pretty soon. Matthew Libertor is throwing the hell out of the ball at AAA. He's got two starts. He hasn't given up a run. I think he's punched out 14. Like, he's looking very good. Uh, so maybe, and, and Woodford would be the one that you look at that is an interchangeable piece right now as he kind of took on, on for Wayno. But this rotation is going to need some reinforcements. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's talk a little bit about Matthew Libertor. That was Brad Thompson the other day on the fast lane talking about Libby. And that was prior to his most recent start where he was once again, outstanding had, I think it was like 17 swings and misses in his game, his appearance the other night uh, on the season. Now he's three and oh, he has an ERA of one and in 17 innings of work, he has struck out 24 batters so far this year down in triple a Alex. This is the type of pitcher that we thought the Cardinals were looking at whenever they traded for him yesterday, seven innings, 10 strikeouts in that one. Kyle Reese, who watches all of the Cardinals minor league players said, this is the most like the end of the 21 season that Matthew Libertor has looked since then, keeping his velocity late into starts, pitching with an edge, landing his curve and repeating his motion. This is a legitimate top 100 pitcher that we're watching in triple a right now. Alex, when you hear that, and you think about what this rotation has been for the Cardinals. Are you ready to see him get his next start in the majors? Absolutely. It, it deserves to be in the majors because you didn't have the best spring training, although I thought his spring training was okay. I thought it was pretty good. I liked what I saw from Libertor in spring. You look at that and say, he's doing everything you asked him to do in the minors, so it's time for us to go down and bring this kid up so that we can see does he have the stuff to back up at the major league level? Because AAA and major leagues are two very different entities, and he struggled at the majors last year. But I believe the Cardinals need to view this as, all right, let's figure out what he's worked on in the offseason against major league talent, because spring training and major league are also very different depending on the quality of opponents he was going up against. So, yeah, I don't know when he started last night, correct? Yeah. So you're talking about five days from now, four days from now, to where he gets a start? 
that's when I would say Matthew Levator needs to be up here getting an opportunity for your rotation. Whether it's a six-man rotation, whether you send Jake Woodford down, Matthew Levator deserves at least one start following this last outing in Memphis. Yeah, I really want to see him up here in the rotation because everything that they wanted to see from him, he is showing. I mean, you just mentioned the tweet from Kyle Reese. We were seeing velocity up in late innings in his uh, appearance. Um, the curveball has been really good. He's improved against right-handed pitching in a small sample size. I just went back and looked at this. Last year in the minor leagues, right-handed hitters hit 282 against him. And this season so far, and again, small sample size, it's only been 12 and two-thirds innings against right-handed batters, 143 average. Wow. So he seemed to have found the improvement, whether that's the increased velo on his fastball. I saw last night, I was keeping an eye on him while I was at the Blues game up in the press box. The curveball's even spinning, or not spinning, it, it, he's throwing it even harder. I think the velo on it was up almost two miles an hour last night. So, yes, I, I want to see him up at the major league level, whether that is the scenario that Alex Payne had, a six-man rotation, or you send down Jake Woodford, who I do think is pitching for his job in the rotation tomorrow night. But I, I do want to see him. I, I want to see if these improvements, because it's nice to see this at AAA. It was good to see him in spring training. But do they translate when you come back up to the major league level? That's that's his next test, and I want to see what he looks like. The Cardinals have 17 games in their next 18 days. They also are considering the notion of going to this six-man rotation that I referenced. I was reading earlier today. Uh, from Derek Gould, and he said the Cardinals are entering one of the most challenging stretches of their season. So far, they have opted not to introduce a sixth starter to the rotation, but they could later this month to alleviate the load on the five arms. We don't have to agree with the way that they're going about it, but let's at least explore this possibility. I do think it makes some sense, and the reason why is this. T-Bone, you made me aware of this earlier today. Apparently, Adam Wainwright might not go out on a rehab assignment, and we'll see. That's not yet in, it's not yet been determined, but it sounds like it's at least possible that he works himself back into, sh- back into the full workload at the MLB level. If that is indeed the case, it makes sense to go to a six-man rotation to make sure that you're not putting too much stress on any one individual arm. And if you go that route, I do agree with what you guys said. Tomorrow is a legitimate pitching for your job scenario for Jake Woodford. And that could mean pitching for your job in the rotation or pitching for your job just on the staff somewhere. Because my guess is when Wayno is back, which seems sooner rather than later, and if Libertor gets an opportunity at the big league level, either in his next start or the one after that, I, I think that Woodford's the one that gets pulled out of the rotation. And then you end up either seeing him in your bullpen, probably replacing Chris Stratton, if that ends up being the case, or going down to AAA where he will just be inserted into the Matthew Libertor spot in your rotation down there. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I forgot to turn on my mic. Man, I'm playing the wrong song. How long have we been doing mic. this? What an amateur. But, no, I I agree with you there. I, I do think, and especially if Wayno doesn't go on a rehab assignment, you're going to need somebody to piggyback with him. And the Cardinals don't have a true long man in their bullpen right now. I mean, who's the guy that they would turn to? I think it's probably either Polante or I was going to say Stratton because I've seen him warm up early in games like when Michael struggled opening day. He was the first guy up. So they don't have a true like, hey, if we're going to ease Adam Wainwright back into this, he can only go, I don't know, say 60, 70 pitches. Say he only goes three innings. You don't have a guy that's going to fill three innings to get you to the sixth inning to get you more to those high leverage arms. So that's where it comes down to me for – Jake Woodford, or yeah, Jake Woodford, for example, is he pitching to be either in the rotation or as the long man? Because I, I do think they're going to need a long man at some point this year, and I think it comes down to that scenario where if Wayno doesn't go on a rehab assignment, and again, we don't know if he is or isn't, but if he does not go on a rehab assignment, they're going to need a long man in the bullpen to piggyback with him. 
Do you want to do that with Matthew Libertor, though, as the long man in the bullpen? No, he would be a starter. starter. Woodford would be the Okay, that makes sense then. And and I think Jake Woodford would be fine in that role as the long man in the bullpen because two, three innings is all you're asking for. It seems with him that second time through the batting order is when things start to get a little concerning. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if they want. The the problem here is asset management, and I know people get frustrated by this, and I get it. It, It is frustrating, but... When you have a guy like Chris Stratton who's on a major league deal and he doesn't have options, it does limit some of what you're able to do here. So the Cardinals cannot send down the following bullpen arms. Drew Verhagen, Jordan Hicks, Chris Stratton. Those are the guys without any sort of options. You're not sending down Gio, Helsley, Zach Thompson, Andre Pallante. So the one other guy that you could potentially send down is Hennessy Cabrera, and we know they like having two lefties in their bullpen. So... I don't know that they're sending Hennessy Cabrera down right now. And that goes back to, okay, are you sending, are you DFAing Chris Stratton, which means likely losing him to another team? Or are you just sending down Jake Woodford to the minors and then hoping that you can pick it up? Because while they do not have a true long reliever in their bullpen, they have constructed it in a way where Drew Verhagen could probably give you multiple innings if you needed Zach him. Zach Thompson could do Zach that. Zach Thompson can give you multiple innings if you need him to. Jordan Hicks can give you multiple innings, even if they're going to be grabbing your butt the entire time that he's out there. Who's grabbing your butt? Andre Pallante can give you multiple innings. We've seen Hennessy Cabrera go multiple innings this year. So they've got options without having a traditional long man where any of those players that I just mentioned can give you probably two innings at a time. So I, I'll be curious to see what they decide to do. My guess they give him one more start at the minor league level, and then they start making their decisions because you're going to see Woodford start tomorrow for you. I I would guess you're going to see Wayno sooner, probably in the next week or two. I think probably And then Seattle. the decision-making process comes to, to fruition. There. So if it's the Seattle series with Wayno that you see him in because it's Pittsburgh, then Arizona, then Seattle, which I is probably the— That's a long road trip. Yeah. yeah, Seattle, San Francisco, L.A. is that road trip. There. So that's when you probably trip. get them. So then you're going to have a series to where you have an opportunity to see Jake Woodford one more time, to see Matthew Libertor if you bring him up in that Arizona series. And then, yeah, you get to that decision-making process exactly. because I, I I believe they view their bullpen as already solidified with how it is. It's just a matter of is there a role for Jake Woodford or do we just send Jake Woodford down if Matthew Libertor impresses? Somebody says activating Woodford and bringing up Livy means that you have to eventually send down two pitchers. So who are you sending down? In this scenario, my guess would be like Woodford would definitely be sent down and then probably – Do you get to I, DFA I territory? I don't know. They've got to make decisions. That's where the decisions come in. And then it becomes a cabbie versus I think it would be cabbie because I think they would view it as, let's see what Stratton has because he's been good. And I know Cabrera's been good. But the two two lefties you carry in your pin, the second lefty could be Pallante with his reverse splits. I I I would have crushed by righties this year. I would rather have Cabrera from the short sample size that I've seen over Pallante in the bullpen. As the other lefty. I will say Cabby's been impressive. Coming up next, the Blues' biggest change this offseason. Man, it's got to be on special teams. We've talked about it before. Pareko had an interesting quote about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's kind of the main thing is, is working together as a unit. One guy goes, everybody goes. It's kind of the unwritten rule of repelling kill almost. Is once one guy starts the pressure, everybody's got to kind of follow in. Not saying that we don't do it, but obviously players players make good plays, and that's that's the thing I guess that we've been focusing on and probably going to continue to focus on. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Colton Pareko after the game last night talking about how the Blues figure out a way to fix their penalty kill. Alex, this has been a problem all year long, but it's really become an issue since the trade deadline when the Blues sent out, let's be honest, some of their more responsible players. Like you look at what they were able to get out of Nico Mikola for all of his deficiencies. Good penalty killer. Ryan O'Reilly, great penalty killer. Uh, Nola Chari, very good penalty killer as well. You lost some guys that were helping you in that regard. And you are now last in the PK since the trade deadline. They're also 25th, though, on the power play since the trade deadline. Alex, as we look towards the Blues offseason with the final uh, Blues game of the regular season coming tonight right here on 101 ESPN starting at 7 o'clock. You got pregame at 6. How do they fix this penalty kill unit specifically? I I don't think it has anything to do with personnel and everything to do with the coaches and not to sit there and blame them for why it's gone wrong this season. A lot of it is because, you know, you moved on from some guys who spent a majority of the time on the penalty kill on top of that. Marcus Scandella, one of your best defensive penalty killers has been injured a majority of the season. Same with Robert Bortuzzo. But when you look at the teams that are successful around the national hockey league, they have the same core of players that have been running the penalty kill for numerous years. I mean, Boston is the best penalty kill team in the National Hockey League, and it's been Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and Brad Marchand, like these same guys for the length of time. That's why the penalty kill always seems to be successful. This is going to come down to one commitment from the players to find a way to trust each other on the ice. I believe Pareko said it last night that it's just you're, you're looking at a scenario where guys want to jump up into the play, but they're unsure because they're not sure if the guy behind him is going to cover. That's chemistry. That's not trusting the guys on the ice with you, but it's also going to come down to some type of schematic change from the coaching staff to where maybe you're more aggressive on the penalty kill, but again, that comes with trust. Maybe you're a little bit more hesitant with the penalty kill, but you're more committed to blocking the shots. Long answer here is you can't go into the offseason and say, well, we're going to sign this guy and our penalty kill is going to improve. Because you tried to do that with Nolachari and it didn't work. It's going to come down to what the coaching staff deems a successful penalty kill this offseason and puts it into use in the regular season next year. And it's a commitment from the players that are willing to play that style. So on the other side of things with the power play, I think this one is a little bit more simple. I think you need more dudes. Since the trade deadline, Alex, Jakub Verana has four power play goals. He's the one guy that you can see as a consistent threat on that power play for the Blues. And I think a big part of that is because he does what they lost with David Perron, which is, man, he gets that shot off quickly. It is on his uh, it is on his stick and then gone in the blink of an eye. Thomas has two. Kairu Buchnevich and Saad each have one power play goal since the deadline. Kapanen. Shin, Blay, neighbors have gotten a decent amount of power play time in this stretch. None of them have recorded a power play goal. They need to get more shots on net. Like it's it's that simple. Last night you would see it in that game once again. They're just not directing the puck at the net. They had an yeah. opportunity where I think it was like a three on one or something. No shot on net from that opportunity. You you have to start directing it towards the net. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's just the players making the decisions. I think it's that, and then they need one more guy that they can bring in. Whoever it is this offseason that's the free agent they sign most likely, that player needs to factor into the power play. Yeah, power play. Power play, I actually think they have the dudes. It's just a matter of... One more. One more. I don't want to see Sammy Blay out there, and that is not a shot against Sammy Blay. That is a but I don't mind reality Sam- of where I, you're at. I mean, Sammy Blay is what Pat Maroon was in 2019. Just goes to the front of the net. Like, I don't mind Sammy Blay out there. He's taken one shot on the power play since being a part of this team. But again... One. 
he's a power forward. You don't need to take shots on the power play. You park yourself in front of the net while you let the playmakers around you go. Uh, understood. But you need somebody that's going to go out there and take a shot. But, and, and like, I don't know who else you're replacing. And Sammy Blaze, in my opinion, going to be on that second power play unit. Your far, first power play unit is going to be Jordan Cairo, Yakub Verana, Robert Thomas, and Braden Shen. Really what it comes down to is the point man on your power play. Guys who's going to be able to direct shots to the net like you just mentioned, but also put the pass in the right spot for these guys because the longest time was you have no one-time threat. Goaltenders don't know. Well, Jordan Kyra took a one-timer last night that knocked the mask off of Scott Wedgwood. That's pretty darn good if you can direct it on net. Yakub Verana, we've seen him have success with his one-time shot. So I'm not even talking about a second power play unit. Like, yeah, you want that to be successful. Maybe that's Sammy Blay and Jake Neighbors. I didn't even mention Pavel Buchnevich on that number one unit. The number one unit has to be dominant. And for that to happen, you're going to have to start getting guys who start hitting the net and also take those one-time shots. All right, Alex, the season's coming to an end. It's the final night of the year. Hit a T-bone. Although we've come. They didn't end up losing hard for Bedard. They didn't even about? bleep around for Fantilli. What are you talking about? Oh, they man. sucked hard enough for Bedard. They got an opportunity to to get the first overall pick. Yeah, 3% right now. Oh, okay. 3%, 3% chance. Can't I'll try take hard enough. Uh, so you're saying there's a chance. Alex, if they lose tonight, what does that mean for their draft status? Just to clear everybody up on kind of the, the parameters. They cannot get to 7th. That's yeah. not going to happen. They cannot get to 12th. That's not going to happen. They're going to be somewhere between 8th and 11th as of today. They are 11th. What are the ways that they can go about being 8th, ninth, or 10th? How can they move up this board, out? Prepare to root for the Canucks, the Red Wings, and the Capitals tonight. Because if the Blues lose in regulation... and you do not want the Red Wings to win. What? Said the Canucks, the Red Wings, and the Capitals. We do not want the Red Wings to win. No, we want the Red Wings to win. We do want the Red Wings to win. My bad. Alex, tell me how the Blues move up in the standings. Tanner, can you cut his mic for the rest of the segment? (laughs) Tanner, cut his mic for the rest of the segment. There we go. Let Hockey Guy do his work right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. If they lose in regulation (laughs) and Vancouver, Detroit, and Washington win, then that would mean the Blues would be selecting eighth overall in the draft because all three of those teams would have more points than St. Louis. Washington would be in the tie with St. Louis, and that would mean that the Blues lose the tiebreaker because Washington's got more regulation wins. Now, ninth and 10th place gets real tricky because if Van, if Washington loses or even picks up one point, no matter what you do, they're sticking at eighth. Ninth and 10th come down to you having more points than Vancouver and tied in points with Detroit. So Vancouver, you have the tiebreaker, which means if you have the same number of points, you're picking after them. Correct. Detroit. Flip that. I'm sorry. Flip that. Detroit, you have the same amount of you have the tiebreaker over Detroit. So the only way you're saying the same thing, but in opposite ways. But yes. OK. The only way you can draft above Vancouver is if they have more points than you. Right. You need Vancouver to finish with more points than the Blues do. So you need them to at least get a point tonight. And yeah. for you to lose. Yep. Um, we, or for you to go into overtime and Vancouver to Correct. win in regulation, most likely. Correct. For Detroit, if you finish with the same number of points as Detroit this year. They possess the tiebreaker. They will be picking behind you. Yes. They will be picking a lower selection. So basically, to make this very, very simple, the, the easiest way possible, you need Washington, Detroit, and Vancouver to win tonight. Yeah. 
If those three teams win, you're picking eighth and you get rid of all of this other mumbo jumbo math that we're talking about here. (laughs) The Blues right now are picking 11th. They have a 3% chance to get the number one overall pick. If they bump up to eighth, that doubles in their odds to be able to get a 6% chance to get the number one overall pick. And uh, frankly, the importance of picking eighth versus 11th is just the the quality of the prospects there is going to be significantly Absolutely. higher. Absolutely. So this is a very good draft. You're going to get somebody good, whether you're picking eighth or 11th. That's the range. Fingers crossed tonight. I know that nobody likes to root against the Blues. You don't have to. But the best thing for them, draft pick-wise, Blues lose. Washington, Detroit, Vancouver yeah. wins. I'm so sorry for stepping all over That's your segment. Right, buddy. Eighth, ninth, or tenth is an ideal spot for this Blues team. Eleventh, they still got a shot to get the first or second overall pick, but the percentage rises to either select first or second if you win the draft lottery. So, yeah, uh, root for Washington, root for Detroit, and root for Vancouver tonight. The junk drawer is next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Guys, have you ever ridden on those uh the electric scooters? The mopeds? The No. Like the the lime scooters. That'll Oh yeah, I rode in uh, Memphis at your oh, bachelor yeah. party. We were riding those around mm-hmm. Memphis. Yeah, you yeah. rode there to the T-Bone. ballpark one day. That's right. I almost I killed myself. I have actually been on a scooter with both of you guys oh, individually. That's so cute. The reason Wait, I ask is because scooters, just so clear. I don't think so. I think you two. I think you were the guy that was hands around the waist. We, we did see. Who do you think would be more way. likely to go hands around the waist between the two of us? Oh, Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner absolutely is hands. Just tuned in. We're talking about scooters, okay? <laughs> no, we're not. Tanner absolutely is hands around the waist. I feel like that's the right way to go about it. I feel like he might be a handlebar guy though, yeah, I'm where totally he's grabbing hold of the handlebar from behind. And that uh, that sounded different. People didn't. Hear. Don't you think? <laughs> No. What about the scooters? No, I Tanner's def- Tanner's definitely a uh, backseat rider. Maybe sidecar. Oh, oh yeah. Tanner's side absolutely definitely. a sidecar. BK, I would say, in the scenario with me, would be the backseat driver. Always, always yeah. with you, buddy. Yeah. All right. So the reason He'd I bring up the scooters is because um, it turns out you're not allowed to shoplift them and then assemble them in the Target parking lot. Reason I bring this what? True story. (laughs) Reason I bring this up is because a man thought maybe he could. This is reading from a story. It's generally not a good idea to shoplift an item that requires assembly and then use the sidewalk in front of the store from which the item has been shoplifted to assemble said item. 28-year-old gentleman on Monday shoplifted a $540 uh, Razor brand electric scooter from Target and then tried to assemble it at the Target store in Palm Coast. Of course, he was arrested. He was taken to prison. Uh, This gentleman was also, surprise, surprise, in drug court several years ago. No. He was uh, last convicted of a third-degree felony possession of cocaine, serving a few months in jail for that. Just a Mm. few months in jail. Uh, Guys, I wanted to do this as a PSA to any of our current listeners that may have gotten the idea maybe they could take a scooter a bike 
something else that you would find in your typical Target, Walmart, department store, and assemble it outside. Apparently, according to this story, you cannot. Yeah, you absolutely assemble it when you get to your hiding spot. You don't assemble it in the parking lot. Yeah. Unless you're thinking you could, like, it's the getaway vehicle, but that doesn't seem very likely. Yeah, no. <laughs> if that's your getaway vehicle. That, that's a very discouraging <laughs> getaway vehicle. If I told you you could never drive a car again, but you had to find a way to get around town. I'm getting a horse. What would be oh, your man. mode of transportation? Absolutely get a horse. I would I, absolutely get a horse. As many I, car I think problems. that's against the law out here. Is it? Really? I'm pretty sure you can't just, like, be riding a horse down the freeway. Well, I would take side roads. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to leave super early. I was going to say, how long would it take you to take side roads? You live like 30 oh, minutes Oh, it would take here. me a really long time, but hey, I got a horse, it, so I don't care. Would you get like a Vespa, a scooter? Oh, I just told you I would get a you horse. You would actually would get, get a horse. A that, would be your, that would be your route. It and then I would be well, the Italian on the stallion up top. Uh, nah, if you got to refer back to your high school nickname yeah. for oh, your okay. ride of transportation. What was he? Cutie pie? Good looking? What was it? Sweet cheeks. Sweet cheeks. No, no you weren't. No, chick magnet. Get it right. Chick magnet. That's what uh, it was. I, I think mine would be a motorcycle. I I, if horses are illegal, <laughs> I, I think I sure would go with, uh, I think I would just go bicycle. Bicycle? Bike that, around. That's what Randy would do. Yeah. Oh, I would not do bicycle. All you need oh, to I'd do love- is, I would rather do the motorcycle now, where I have to do less work for it. I got to get my bike here before I, you know, make the full commitment because it's not No, just take it from Target and assemble it outside. Yeah, just take it and assemble it outside. doing nowadays? And take it outside of Target. I, I, I would go with a uh, would go with a Vespa. You know what I you know what I should actually do? Just pocket the way rocket. you said it makes a lot of sense. I would go What did you Vespa. say? What? Pocket rocket? No. I'm, what is that? Isn't that a uh, it's a motorcycle, right? Yeah, it's like a, it's like those scooters yeah. in Italy. Just a little. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I was gonna say rollerblades. I can't tell you how many people I see rollerblading around Creepcore Lake. You gonna rollerblade down the, the the side roads? Yeah, why not? I'd be glad I'd have my headphones Man. on. I would absolutely if you I do had skates a- or the blades. Like one one row or two. Oh, rows. You have to go blades. Skates oh, would, would take go, too long. I feel like Tanner's more of a one, skate. No, yeah. skates no, would take way too long. You seem more like a skates guy. Yeah. Did you guys go roller skating oh, in yeah. uh, like middle school? Picked up yeah. all the honeys at the roller we skating rink a, in high school. We used to have a do those uh, exist skating anymore? rink. Yeah, they do do we still one, have roller skating rinks? There's one by my parents' house that I used to go to all the time. And they, they still do like Saturday free skating. Really? I told Katie, we I said, we one. should go. And she's like, that's creepy. I said, you're absolutely right at this. We used to have one in my hometown and then it went under. That was the that was the hopping day. That was the date night out in Olney, Illinois. Yeah. You'd go to the Sodi shop had, and then you'd hit the skating and rink. And they had like pinball machines in the snack room area. Oh, it was great. You'd get some nachos after you had some Sodi yeah. from the shop. Then he played the Star Wars pinball machine. I'm talking you, early 2000s, not the you 80s. You lived by in the, way. the 1960s, didn't you? It was great. Was there man. a disco ball. There was a disco overhead. ball. Yeah, there was a disco they ball. Would turn off the lights. I mean, it was dark the whole time. Man. There'd just be a disc ball, disco ball going around. There was a what? A disco ball. Boy, I loved roller skating. That was like too. that was like a Friday night staple for me. Ours was on Thursday nights in old good old Blue Springs, Missouri. Oh, well, that's a school night, man. You can't do that. Oh, I think Summer ours was that? Oh, summertime. Okay. Saying, well, I, I think ours was open during the school nights. Maybe that's why it went under. They didn't plan it very well. <laughs> Coming up next, who are we going to see in the lineup against the Pirates' right-handed starters this weekend? They've got a right-hander going every single night over the next four. What does that mean for the Cardinals lineup? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, this weekend, really the next four days, if you include tonight, the Cardinals are going up against what is expected to be four right-handed starters for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, that plays into their hand when it comes to the Cardinals' ability to put a bunch of lefties in this lineup. I would expect that we'll see uh, Brendan Donovan, Alec Burleson, Nolan Gorman. You'll see a lot of those guys in this series. Poor Dylan Carlson. That is where I wanted to get to. What does this mean, especially for your outfield going into this thing? Because Dylan Carlson had previously been losing all of his playing time against right-handed pitchers to... Uh, Alec Burleson to Tyler O'Neill as your starting center fielder and Jordan Walker is not getting days off early in the season. How do you think that go? How do you think that plays out this week? So the way that I look at it is Alec Burleson's probably going to play three of those four games. Jordan Walker is going to play three of those four games because unless he just doesn't stop hitting, because the way I look at it is as soon as he doesn't get a hit in a game, they'll give him the day off the next day because right now it's the hit streak that you're letting him ride on. And I would imagine it's going to fall, but who knows? Maybe this kid just goes on for 162 straight hits, right? We could see that happening. Then I think it comes down to two versus two, because we talked about this in the office. I don't believe Lars Nupar is going to be returning in this series. More likely it's going to be the next series. So I look at it as you'll get a two and two where Tyler O'Neill will get two games and Dylan Carlson will get two games, which tells me I did not bring up Juan Yepes's name at all, which I don't know if you're even going to see Juan Yepes in this series unless it's a DH or potentially a pinch hit. And then it comes into does Brendan Donovan get a start in the left field's position one of those days for Alec Burleson. I just think it's going to be Walker Burleson and then two and two with Carlson and O'Neill. I, I- I think that might be the route they go. I, I could see where they go three and four with Tyler O'Neill just because he played really well in that series in Colorado, uh, filling in for Carlson, who was dealing with the neck issue. But I I do agree. I think you're going to see Burleson for three or four, and I think you're going to see Walker for three or four. I do think at some point they've got to get him a day off, even if the history is still going, just to keep him fresh. I, I know he's 20 years old, and yeah, he should be able to play you know, he should be able to run like the Energizer Bunny, but at some day he's gonna, sometime he's gonna need a day Not off. With the hit streak running, I, I still think you get him a day off, even if he's got the hit streak going, just because. I mean, I, I want to keep him fresh. It's more about the long haul than it is just the short sample size. I mean, today if he gets a hit, he breaks the all-time record for twenty or younger. After that, you can give him one day off and then see if the hitting streak continues. So, I, I do think it will be three of four for Walker, three of four for Burleson, and then two of. Four, probably for O'Neill slash Carlson. Maybe they put Yepes in one of those spots when Burleson needs a day off, but honestly, I, I don't really expect that. So here's the problem. Every time that we bring up any of these scenarios, Yepes is the one that gets crunched. He's the one that sees his playing time diminish. And I think that tells you a lot because somebody on the text line, and it's a fair text, says, guys, Juan Yepes hits the crap out of right-handed pitchers. Why is he the one that is losing playing time to these guys against righties? It's fair. Last year when we saw Juan Yepes, he did not have significant splits against lefties or righties. And in the minors, that was also his calling card, which was, hey, no matter who the opposing pitcher is that's going out there, you can put Juan Yepes in the lineup because you feel pretty good about him against righties and lefties. Actually, against righties last year, he had a little bit more pop over the course of the season. Now, part of that might be just because he had more opportunities against them and it would level out over time against lefties, but he was really good. Last year, he had a 460 slugging percentage against right-handed pitching. Is he just... And this is something that we talked about yesterday, and I ended up, I guess you could say, being wrong about the Taylor Motter thing because Motter was good. He got two strikeouts. He got an important hit, and I'll give him credit. Yeah, you jerk. But are we now entering a zone of... 
Juan Yepes is just the guy that we consistently ask the question all year long. Wait, why isn't Yepes getting more opportunities? Is he going to be that player this year for them? Yeah, I think so. Because it's going to tell you everything when Lars Nupar returns. Because if you're going to go off of like, we feel like there's a high ceiling for Juan Yepes, then Taylor Mata would be sent down regardless of the position he plays. But I don't see that happening. I see them. They obviously like Taylor Motter and what he provides in terms of versatility and his bat. I see them putting Juan Yepes down back into Memphis. And if you're not getting more than one start in the series against Pittsburgh where you mash against righties, or even if you don't get a start and all you get is pinch hit opportunities, that tells you everything you need to know. You say it all the time, BK. Your actions speak louder than your words. You could say all you want about Juan Yepes, like, oh, yeah, he's got all this potential. We love his bat. But if you're not playing him against the Pirates when you don't have Lars Newtbar and he's providing offense and you send him back down to Memphis, then that tells you everything you need to know. They're probably going to move him at some point. And this is a good problem to have. Like, you'd rather have too many good hitters to fit into your lineup than not enough. The Cardinals have had that other problem for years where they just didn't have enough bodies to fit into your lineup every day where you're like, oh, like that guy being in there. I I, I do feel better, though, about Juan Yepes being in the lineup than I do like a Taylor Motter, for example. Now, your starting lineup, it's hard for me to argue Juan Yepes starting over Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, what we've seen so far this year from uh, Alec Burleson or Brendan Donovan, like most of the other options I'm taking over Juan Yepes. Motter is the one that it is hard for me to get there with given where he's at at this point in his career and what his track record has been versus what Juan Yepes track record has been here in St. Louis. But I, I think the longer that we go and I think this weekend's going to be telling if they don't get him a start against the Pirates, I think it tells me, barring an injury, Juan Yepes is probably the guy that we're talking about at the trade deadline that ends up getting flipped. It just it just makes too much sense. I think he's the guy that ends up out of the rotation and you have too many alternatives to go to uh, that are uh, above him in the pecking order for your lineup. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you mentioned the comp yesterday of Luke Boyd acquiring, uh, I think it was, was it Geo you got mm-hmm. Luke Boyd for? And Jason Shreve. Yeah, that guy too. But uh, I, I, I think everybody's going to bring up Randy go. Rosarena. I think it's more likely that he becomes Luke Voigt, which is a really nice hitter that for years we've looked around and been like, hey, maybe the Cardinals go out and sign Luke Voigt. Yeah, but- because nobody's going to be using Juan Yepes in the outfield. It's going to be first base or DH when yeah. you acquire him. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I do think that's the one, re- one reason also you're not seeing that bats from Yepes. I, I think they clearly view him as such a liability defensively. They don't even want to try throwing him out there. I know they did it last year in the playoffs, but that was just essentially nobody else is hitting. We've got to get his bat into the lineup, and the best way for us to do it was I think he started left field one game and was DH the other. So I, I think when they look when you look at him defensively, I mean, look, we've known all along. He's not good defensively. He's going to be a DH. But right now you just can't argue getting him at bats in the DH spot over Nolan Gorman against right-handed pitching. Right. And then when you, when you go up against a um, left-handed bat, maybe that's when you throw that guy out there. But at, at this point, when you get all these outfielders back, I mean, then you probably are even looking at just Dylan Carlson getting potentially DH opportunities. If you go O'Neal, Walker, and depending on how they view Lars with splits, then maybe you do that. That's the problem. Is like right now, the spot where you would put him into the lineup is against left-handed pitching. But let's go down this roster construction here for a second. Against the lefty, you're probably putting Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker, and Dylan Carlson in your outfield. That's the way that you would construct that group, I would assume. And then at DH, you probably have one of the leftover bats. Like maybe Wilson Contreras is getting a day that day. Or maybe one of your infielders is getting a day at DH that day. Like 
that just becomes a very, very limited role. And if you're able to get something of significance from another team at the trade deadline for him, that's probably going to be a more meaningful addition than what Juan Yepes is able to do for you. And this is not going to ch- change anytime soon. You're not just suddenly next year going to have a bunch of extra roster spots where he's going to be filling into that place. No, Nolan, your infield in particular, especially with Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan being what they are, that that's set. Those guys aren't going anywhere. And so Juan Yepes's place on your roster, it's really hard to figure out what that's going to look like do, now or in the future. I do think it's massively important for them at some point within the next couple of months, and they still have a little bit more leeway, to start identifying roles for these individuals. Like this flurry of trying to figure out, of, oh, can he be a DH? Like It's great to have all of these options, but I I view it as, as, a, as a professional athlete. You want to know what your role is. See, I think they know. I think most of them, like, I, I know on a day-to-day basis kind of what they're trying to accomplish. But if you're Burleson or Yepes, I don't think you know. And frankly, right now, if you're Dylan Carlson, I don't think you know. I don't know. think Burleson can know what his role is until uh, you, you get Newbar back. back. Because right now, what his role is, is batting second against right-handed pitching as a left fielder. But that's what I'm saying. When your roster is set, and I know that there's always injuries, but when your roster's set, when you're getting into that com- competitive window... It's tough when you got like three or four guys that are impactful players that you're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get you into the lineup? Because sometimes mentally that can affect you. I think a good player is a good player, and he'll hit wherever you put him, and role doesn't really matter But to we him. can say that, but I, I mean, even Corey Dickerson last year we thought was going to be a massive impact in terms of the offense. I think Corey Dickerson just wasn't good. Yeah. I think he's just done. I, th- I think he, the injuries have taken their... Um, toll on his body, and he's not the same player that he was a few years ago. Just and and last that, year, we saw the results of that. I just view that as like you might lose individual players in terms of when you get into that competitive window if those roles aren't designated. I guess to my them. question would be this: like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to attack you or anything, but who, who are the guys that you think don't know their roles that should? Alec Burleson and Dylan Carlson. Carlson, I think, is something that will take shape. Over the course of the next month, you got to find out what you got in him and O'Neill first before you can make that determination. And Alec Burleson, like right now, his role is, I think, very clear. If you're pacing a right-handed pitcher, he's in your lineup. He's batting second. He's playing in left field. If you're facing a left-handed pitcher, he is not in your lineup, and he will be a bench bat that comes in when a right-handed reliever comes in against one of those right-handed hitters that are in your outfield at that point in time. But see, the problem is, like, when that right-handed pitcher's on the mound, I mean, Tyler O'Neill hit a righty pretty well yesterday, and Tyler O'Neill's numbers have looked well. You've got Lars Newbar. You'll have Jordan Walker. If Alec Burleson becomes the DH, then what happens with Nolan Gorman? And oh, then We're not there yet. Like, right now, I, he no, knows I, what his role is. I know is. we're not there yet, but I'm just thinking when we get deeper into the season, that's where I start to wonder, like, do the Cardinals get to the point and say, like, we've got to solidify what roles are moving forward? I, I just think this is one of those things where, like, I know it's kind of cliche to say, but... That stuff gets figured out over time. Like, there's going to be an injury that makes this a little more clear at some point in the next few weeks, right? The Lars Newbar injury honestly made it very clear what Alec Burleson's role was early in the season. Um, You're going to get to a point in time where maybe an Alec Burleson isn't hitting. Like, right now, he's been awesome to start out the season. He's been everything you could have asked for and then some. He's probably going to come a point in time where... He goes cold, and when that happens, he's either sent down to AAA to get himself back on track while he's seeing pitching every day, or he's going to become the left-handed bench bat for a little bit, or he's going to get opportunities as your DH, where Nolan Gorman is now at second base because maybe Brendan Donovan has gone cold. Like, I, I don't think it's a problem because when I look around Major League Baseball and these other teams that have been winning consistently, this is how they do it. Like When you look at what the Dodgers have done in recent years, they play this way. 
When you look at what the Rays do in recent years, they play this way. You look at what the Astros do. They play this way. They find ways to get guys into the lineup every day. It's going to look a little different depending on the matchup of the pitcher, depending on um, what their load is on any given day in terms of how often they've been playing. Maybe they're at DH one day. They go to the outfield the next or at second base the following day. Like they're, This is what the smart, high-level teams are doing around Major League Baseball right now. I saw a stat the other day. It was like, the Astros had 137 different lineups last year. There's 162 games, which means they basically played with a different lineup every single day of the season for the most part. I don't think that's a problem because I think these guys have been doing that their entire careers because even down into the minor league levels or the lower levels of college and or high school, these teams are now setting their lineups to maximize the output depending on the matchup that day. So maybe one day they're batting first, the next day they're batting fifth in high school. That stuff's happening at every level. I I don't think there's a problem for the roles on the team right now. I think the problem is, like, we don't know what they are yet. And so a month from now, it's going to be a lot easier to be able to say with some kind of certainty who is where on what day. I don't think you can do that right now because you're still learning what you have in Jordan Walker. You're still learning what you have in Alec Burleson. And these are the guys that you're you're hoping you can count upon this year, but you don't know yet. Tyler O'Neill, same thing. Is there a guy that you think like right now needs to be defined? Because if if there is, that's the guy they should be honing in on to figure out over the next month. Not right now, but two to three months from now, I think that you will have to have certain conversations with certain guys about that. See, I I just don't think they, I I don't think you need to really know a role. I think it's just better off bouncing around and figuring out, hey, you're going to hit here on this matchup. We like this better. Kind of what you're saying, BK, of roles will eventually work themselves out. But I, if you don't even really know your role, I, I don't think it really matters. Whatever maximizes a lineup, and I think these guys have gotten used to it. I mean, they should have gotten used to it last year, too. I mean, there was a lot of different lineups, a lot of mixing and matching. I mean, hell, Brendan Donovan hit fifth in the playoffs for you last year because they were hitting pools in the two spot. So Donovan's a perfect player for this, by the way. Over the last four days, he's bat leadoff for you every single day. He's played second, first, left, and sh- shortstop. Yeah, <laughs> the last four days. Some guys can handle it, though, and that's the part that I just am unsure about. Like, when you get to that point, like, Alec Burleson's been hit really well because he knows what his spot is, but when he's in a spot where you're not seeing the field very often and you're as a DH and then you're as a pinch hitter and then you get an outfield opportunity once every seven days, does it become a problem for See, them with their if infield does, impact? If it does, then... That's something that he's going to have to get figured out because yeah. I think that's his role for the future. But that's where it affects the team then if you start losing impactful bats that and, are supposed to help. Unless Lars Newport's really good. Yeah. Because then if if it if it means that Alec Burleson ends up taking a step back for you offensively, but Lars Newport is great, it's possible he just got better. Because now Lars Newport is starting for you in the outfield. You're better defensively there with Newt than you are with Alec Burleson, and the bat probably doesn't take a significant step back. But if he but if he struggles, doesn't that impact your bench and your depth that we've talked so much about? Maybe, yeah, I but think, I don't think he, I I think he's I think he's a pretty smart, it, like intelligent guy. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be somebody that you have to worry about as being um, like shrinking because he's not getting an everyday opportunity. And if you can't bounce around or not if you have to know a specific role just to thrive in major league baseball i'm sorry but i don't think you're going to be in major league baseball that's just the way the game has gone to where you're not probably going to know your role unless you're a superstar i mean the only guys that we know for sure going into the year that for 100 percent knew their role minus yep or excuse me minus um newport i think he kind of had an idea what his role was because carl set it up that way but was goldie arenado and Contreras. we knew they were going to be three four five because they didn't bring in an alternative. No, that's fair. You could argue Eggman too. That that's that's totally fair. But like 
usually only the superstars know their roles. Otherwise, I mean, look at what the Giants did the year two years ago when they won 105 games and won the NL West. They had a different lineup for every right-handed, left-handed pitcher based on arm angle, based on everything else. So I just think now in modern baseball, you can't be a guy, if you're not a superstar, that says, I have to know I'm hitting sixth when I'm going against right-handed pitching. <laughs> yep, nope, sorry, you're not going to be here on the big league roster. From the 618. Guys, this is the problem with analytics. They cause chaos. Players don't uh, don't have the opportunity to get comfortable. Athletes don't like uncertainty. This is the kind of Jeff Albert crap that ended up hurting Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, and even ended up causing issues for Paul DeYoung. Matt DeYoung's just bad. I think Dylan Carlson was hurt. I think Paul DeYoung was figured out by opposing pitchers. And I think Tyler O'Neill had a down season, and that did include some injuries. I think last year what we saw was the Cardinals maximize the offense from a lot of different guys. I think we've seen that so far this year. I expect that to continue. Now, if this becomes an issue for guys, we'll talk about it. And I'll be curious to see what that looks like over the next month. But I think one thing that Ollie does early on in the season, like it or hate it, and sometimes I'm somewhere in between, he tries to figure out what these guys are capable of. And then that will inform his decision making as we get into like June and beyond. And if he ends up making what we deem to be bad decisions at that point, then we could talk about it. But I don't I don't think the uh, the roles, uh, at least so far, are a problem. The one that I've had a little bit of a question about is Juan Yepes. And I think that's just a reflection of where this team is at right now. Believe it or not, one of our favorite segments of the week is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world It should have been somebody else Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for believe it or, or not. One of our favorite segments of the week. T bones best. I would say best thing that he's introduced to this show. Can we address the elephant hmm. in the room? Kind of hurtful. What's that? The gonna... lyrics that you sing. You say wing or whim. What? I think I went whim there. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, this guy was making cheese before the song started. No, I just hey, I want to make sure that the people are getting our best. If I you know, sound I'll bad, be honest with you. It's I my said congestion. whim there. It's okay. It's supposed to be wing, it's but I it. thought whim sounded a little better with the lyrics. No. <laughs> I decided to change the lyrics. Huh? Uh, you know what? Uh, this sounds better. Okay. I like it. I'm what just is hey, whim, what does whim even mean? Like if you're living on a whim, yeah. a whim, whimsical whim, so to speak. Cool whip. I hated that. All right. From the the 618, I hope I'm not the only listener who loudly belts the song along with you guys. You're definitely not. Hell no. Everybody does it. If you're not doing that in your car, you're doing it wrong. All right. Two things that we sing along with at this show. Believe it or not, in the we is doing a lot of work there. Yeah, I do like Into the Road, though. Believe it or not, the Cardinals pull off the four-game sweep against the Pirates. Not believing it. Back on track after this weekend. Not believing it. They'll split the series 2-2, and people will be like, I couldn't even beat the Pirates. You're going to be 9-7 and after Sunday. (laughs) 
Someone's real positive. How could you not be? This Pirates team stinks. Have you seen their lineup? Don't they have a better record than the Cardinals? Yeah, but give it time. Okay. Aren't they facing that Contreras kid, though? <laughs> Battle gear. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth. Put it on a t-shirt. Um, I think they... Don't they face Contreras? So they stay around the house, too. Ah, somebody will fix that. It tells Kara when the air conditioning unit goes out. Uh, BK, we're not getting cold air. Ah, it'll work itself out. <laughs> it'll get fixed. It'll figure it out. The Cardinals aren't hitting Oviedo on Friday, so that's a loss. Yeah, that's a no-hitter. And I think I'm pretty sure that Contreras kid for Pittsburgh pitches. Yeah, he pitches on Saturday. He's a stud, even though he's got an ADRA. Um, I'm going to say not. I don't think they can sweep. I think they take three or four. Hold on. So Kyle Tucker, not a superstar. Contreras kid who's got an ADRA. I love this stud. kid. Do you know who their cleanup hitter is? Isn't it McCutcheon? Uh, nope. Dude, McCutcheon hit a bomb the he's other day. He's batting third for them right now. Oh. He hit a bomb the other day, and it was awesome. It's Carlos Santana. <laughs> The guitarist? This is no different guy. This is it. I, I'm not a batting average guy. You guys know this, but these are his batting averages over the last. But I'm going to pick this stat because this yeah. is fills my narrative. I'm glad Alex gets it. This is over the last three seasons. What Carlos right. Santana has done as a batting average guy: 199, 215, 200. The reason why that matters is because you have to be an unbelievable walk rate player to make that worth anything. He has been a below average hitter over the last three seasons, and he is batting cleanup right now for and the Pittsburgh hit, Pirates. And he'll hit a two-run bomb no chance. in three of the four games against the Cardinals. Do yeah, they still, still have Sutsugio? No, no, they didn't bring him back. Really? Is he oh, playing he with somebody? Uh, the work good. What are you guys is he worried playing about? somewhere? Uh, I don't know. He was with uh, somebody in camp, but then he got cut. I think he was with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were like, man, we can't fix this. I don't know how to spell Sugio. T S U H. No. What? Uh, he is not playing for anybody right now. Poor guy. So are you buying that this is going to be, believe it or not, they not, will sweep them four nah. games then? Really? They're not sweeping four games. Yeah, they're not sweeping four games. He's in the Rangers AAA affiliate right now, batting 195. Oh, All right, so he'll be up soon. Wait, what were his numbers? 195. Oh, we're working on it. We'll get there. Alex, yeah, what do you got for believe it or not? Uh, believe it or not, fellas, the player that the Blues select in the first round this upcoming year will be starting the season with them on opening night. Who's that? The player that the Blues select in the first round this upcoming draft. So whether they draft 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 2nd, 1st. So I'm not going to believe it because right now they have a 3% chance to move up to top two picks. I I would be genuinely shocked if the Blues pick 8th, ninth, 10th, or 11th and that player ends up making the opening day roster for them. Absolutely shocked if that happens. I'm with BK. I'm not going to believe it because I don't think they're going to jump into the one or two spot. So I, I would just be, I mean, the fact that army's already said, like, you're not going to see Bolduc snugs or uh, probably Dean next year makes me think if whoever they draft, probably not going to be ready to be able to make the roster and make an impact right away. Well, one, my tinfoil theory still stands true that the blues, it's going to be rigged and it's going to be them selecting first overall for Connor Bedard. Oh, I haven't asked you about that this year. Yeah. My tinfoil. Yeah, Who's the come... team that they're going to rig it for? Cause just, you do this every year and I, you're wrong. Most of the time. I, I, I literally <laughs> just told you who they're going to do it. You think for. it's the blues? Yeah. The blues now, haven't selected first saying, overall since 2006. A lot. No, well, Columbus, well, but Columbus has one of the best records. One of the worst teams in the NHL. Columbus has one of the worst records. So, like, of course, they're going to be the odds-on favorite to get it. But they don't have one of the worst record. They, they have, have the, the worst, worst record. record. Like, because because Chicago beat Pittsburgh the other night, Chicago moved to third overall if the draft was just set. Here are the teams that could be selecting in that spot. Philly, 
because Philly didn't avidly Philly tank. Philly makes so much sense, dude. Yeah, Philly makes a lot of sense. So does Washington, hey, honestly. I was going to say, if you want Ovechkin to uh, beat Wayne Gretzky's record, go ahead yeah. and select Connor Bedard. Dude, that that's the team. Detroit. Like Detroit's you don't, you don't think too. Gary Bettman wants Steve Eisman to be successful? And then St. Louis. Haven't selected him the first overall pick since 2006. Right, I'm with Alex. Let's go! <laughs> I'm with Alex. Oh but one of Philly, Washington, or Detroit will be yeah. picking number one. So beyond my tinfoil theory, I would actually say I'm believing this because if you select the right player, you could have an impactful player that's playing in your top nine next year. I mean, Wyatt Johnston, we just saw play for the Dallas Stars last night, 19 years old. He was selected 23rd overall last season. My God. And he was centering their second line. And he's got 24 goals because he had two goals last night, 24 goals on the season. So it just depends on who you get. And don't Maybe worry. You're one of those. Well, don't worry. Once the season's over, <laughs> I, I got a Ferrari 05 in terms of five prospects the Blues should be targeting. Ooh. But I'm going to believe this one. I think you could get an impactful player if you're selecting 8th, ninth, or 10th. T-Bone, what do you got for Believe It or Not? Believe It or Not, the all-star Nolan Gorman hits 40 home runs this season. 40? Oh, my goodness. My pearls. Yeah. Well, he's currently on pace for... Let's check this out. 46? 54. Oh, my God. That's impressive. I'm not going to believe it because I'm not going to jump in. Full bore. You're going to believe they're going to sweep the Pirates, yeah. but not what actually was more likely to happen. So he hit two home Wrong runs game. in Colorado. He doesn't get to play sure? there again. I'm going to say not believe it. I think he gets between 30 and 35 this year. I'm really high on what Nolan Gorman can be for this team. Doesn't sound like it. 40 home runs is... That would be remarkable. So I, I'm going to say not believe it. I'll be the pessimistic one here. Alex, what do you got? All aboard the hype train. Choo-choo! Nolan Gorman, 40-plus home runs this season. Believe in it. I'm going to believe it, too. I I, I think he's going to have one of those kind of Tyler O'Neill-esque years, but O'Neill, it took really a second-half surge in 21 to really bring up his numbers. He's going to go through stretches where he goes cold, but I don't think they're going to be very long. I, I'm I'm going to believe this. He's got the power to do it, and, and I think he will. I think he'll just get there. 40-41 is where I'm thinking he's going to get. the last Cardinals player to hit Now, this is an Albert stat. Oh, no. that it feels that way, right? Brad boys. Yeah. That's the one that I always love is like any blues goal statistic. He's like, Brad he's, like boys. The, he's like the Ray Lankford of the blues. <laughs> it's like Brad boys. Huh? Let me look this 40 up. home runs. I would say Brandon Moss. What? No, <laughs> the, the look that I just gave Alex Ferrario. <laughs> and I love Brandon Moss. <laughs> You've said some ridiculous bleep on this show. <laughs> that takes the cake. <laughs> Come on, Brandon Moss. We right? had the same uh, reaction like, what? Brandon Moss. Let me, let me ask you a different way. Brandon Moss. The last non-Albert player, because Albert did it in 10, 09, 06, 05, 04, I don't think, and 03. I don't think no Roland, one's done it. No one else did it during Albert's I, I don't time. think Roland or Edmonds did Edmonds. it. I know Lang- did Edmonds Edmund do it. Did he do 42 it? 42 in 04 and wow. he two, uh, 42 in 2000 as well. My gosh. Other than that, it's Maguire, of course, two years. So nobody prior to Pujols. And Johnny Myers hit the first baseman in like the 40s. In 1940. <laughs> and uh, Rogers Hornsby, the most underrated Cardinals baseball player in the history of the franchise, hit 42 home runs in 1920. So nobody after Pujols. No, nobody since Pools. Nobody since 2010 had to say it at least uh, 40 home runs for the Cardinals. I'm a little surprised that Matt Holiday never did it. 
I know that he was like a, a guy that was pure power plus average, so he had a little bit of both, but I'm a little surprised he never uh, got to four. The what amount of disrespect for Brandon Moss on this show. Yeah, unbelievable, BK. But no, I, I mean, that does say, though, that like this would be the, in terms of pure power prospects, probably the best pure power prospect that the Cardinals have developed Holiday. In at least 80 years. Holiday never even hit 30 home runs as a Cardinal. Really? In a year. His most was 28 in 2010. <sighs> Brandon That's Moss shocking to never, me. I, was gonna say, I don't remember him having a ton of crazy power when he was here in St. Louis. Oh, Wilkes. you know who did it? Jed Jerko. He would have done it. But uh, imagine the storylines in back-to-back years. Uh, well, this isn't as cool as, you know, 700 home runs and Albert Yachty retiring and Wayno and Yachty breaking the streak or most consecutive starts as battery mates or whatever. But... <laughs> Imagine the storyline of Jordan Walker setting a new record if he gets a hit tonight to start a rookie campaign 20 years or younger and having the longest hitting streak to start a career. And then at the end of the year, we're talking about Nolan Gorman being the first Cardinal to hit 40 bombs since Albert Pujols. And how about Carlos Beltran had 32 that, that season, that first season with the Cardinals. Lance Berkman didn't play in what, 17? Yeah, Lance Berkman was the one. He had that. 31 in 145 games for the Cardinals. Yeah, he, he was it's awesome. incredible. Uh, and then that Tyler O'Neill guy. Had and then Brandon Moss. As well. Love Brandon Moss. Meanwhile, by the way, Steve Phillips said earlier today, quote, the Cardinals are not going to win that division. The Brewers are a better team right now. I think the Cardinals are in trouble. Trouble. Does Steve Phillips know that they're going to be trading Corbin Burns come trade deadline time? I don't think he's familiar. Coming up next, this time next year, are we are going to be talking about a playoff spot for the Blues? We'll ask Alex that question next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. This time next year, we're going to be talking about a playoff spot for the Blues. Alex, it's frustrating for a lot of Blues fans the way this season went. It's frustrating for all of us, honestly. I don't even need the disclaimer. All of us, how this Blues season went, because we had so many expectations for what this team could be, and they fell short of any of those reasonable expectations. There are 81 points on the season. I wanted to ask you this because tonight's the final night that we're going to be able to watch this Blues team, and we know it going into the game. I hope this time next year we don't know it going into that final regular season game where there's at least a chance, even if it's not locked up, of the Blues being able to battle their way into the postseason. How do you feel about that possibility? I I, I believe they'll be there next year. I I look at the way that this season went, yes, the ups and downs, but you eliminate a seven-game losing streak from last season or from early in the first month of the year, an eight-game losing streak later on, you're talking about a team that was battling with the Winnipeg Jets down the stretch. And these are the teams that the Blues have scored more goals than this season. Winnipeg, who's in the playoffs, Uh, They scored 20 goals less than Seattle, who's in the playoffs, more than the L.A. Kings, nearly as many as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're only five behind them, more goals than the Minnesota Wild. All of these teams, they got tighter defensively and better in terms of the goals allowed. So that's an area that you're going to have to tighten up on if you're the Blues. But offensively, you're in the same category as teams like Winnipeg, Minnesota, 
L.A. And then you also look down the future path of these teams. And Winnipeg's got a lot of uncertainty once they get bounced from the postseason. Calgary's going to be doing the same thing. Nashville's headed into a rebuild. Arizona's in the midst of a rebuild. San Jose, Chicago, Anaheim. The teams that are in that competitive window are Dallas, Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas, Edmonton, L.A., Seattle. So those are seven teams right there. But I believe that you're in the same conversation as two of those three teams if you have a good enough offseason. See, I I just don't think they can get back to that point next year. I I think they are two to three years away, as Doug Armstrong said in his uh, press conference after the trade deadline. I I just look at this team. One, you do have to make those defensive improvements, but looking at these contracts, the way these guys have played, I find it hard to believe they're going to be able to make the – big retool that we think they need on the on the blue line I I just have trouble seeing that and then second is it comes down to those offensive numbers not so much in a whole as we've talked as you just mentioned there in the season but what we've seen in the last month I mean BK gave us the numbers I guess it was either earlier this week or last week where really they're they're not generating the same amount of scoring chances it's the same scoring chances they're just having a higher shooting percentage so I, I look at that and say, okay, I'm not sure these offense numbers are going to sustain. I mean, last night at one point in that game, they were being outshot like 12 to three, and I think 15 minutes in the first period, they had a Corsi percentage of 15 percent. So, like, that's not going to get it done, and I, I don't think that's just going to change through the offseason through one addition, which is probably either a center or a winger. But I, I still think they're two to three years away. I, I just feel like this is too tough of a retool to get back into the playoffs, and if they do get back in I think it's going to be kind of like I know Nashville's not making it this year but it's one where you look at like what Nashville is this year and it's like okay they kind of just happen to fall into the playoffs they didn't really I don't want to say earn it but they just kind of fall in because nobody else in the west is good enough I think it's interesting you brought up uh, Nashville because they're one of the teams that I wanted to hone in on there's three teams that I think are super important when it comes to the Blues this offseason and then whether or not they're going to be able to make the playoffs next year it's Winnipeg Nashville and Calgary the reason why I bring those three up is because two of them are right in front of you in the in the central division right now. The other Calgary is a team that I think is going to be battling once again for a at least wild card spot going into next year. Calgary is like when we, whenever we talk about regression, and I, I know I bring it up a lot. Calgary is one of those teams that could regress in a very positive direction next year. They lost 17 times in overtime this year. They lost another five games in a shootout like when you have those kinds of points that are just left on the table by your team, that doesn't mean you're bad. It means you were really tight in a lot of those games. And if you're able to make a couple of tweaks here or there, you could get right back into things. Now, the reason why I find them interesting though, they might go the other direction. It's entirely possible that they look at this team and say, Hey, we tried to retool this thing on the fly. We had to get out of the Kachuk situation. We had Johnny Goudreau, who was kind of holding us hostage last off season and then we decided to go with John, Jonathan Huberdo, Nazem Kadri. We went a different direction. What if we try to retool this thing on the fly again? And maybe that means taking a more significant step back before we can take a significant step forward. They next year do what the Blues did this year, basically. That is something that could help them. I have no idea what the plans are for Winnipeg and Nashville. No clue what they're going to do this offseason. Well, Nashville, so, you know, is a rebuild. <laughs> that's a long way to say this. I do not expect that the Blues will be at the in the playoffs at this time next year, but I do think there's real reason for optimism because of the question marks that surround other teams in the in the Western Conference that might be like a, a year away from where you're at now. They might be getting ready to go through what you just had to deal with this this past season. So um, I would say my answer is no, but with a little bit of optimism to remain there. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll have Clint Hurdle, former Major League Baseball general manager, on the show tomorrow. Looking forward to that. But we finished today where we started the day, which is with Jack Flaherty, who yesterday's average velo was up. His swing and miss stuff was up. Slider got 10 whiffs on it. He only had three hard hit balls, and he ended up with a 66% strike rate on the day. Alex, every other start that we've seen from him so far this year, there's been a yeah, but. Yeah, but in the first start, no velo, no command. Yeah, but in the second start, okay, you got the velo back, still no command. This was the first time this year that we saw a Jack Flaherty start without any yeah, but that he can control. Yeah, and that's where it came down to for me because the command was the number one thing I was watching for. He ended that with one walk, six strikeouts, lots of swings and misses. It felt Jack, it felt like Jack was more comfortable on the mound, not getting into bad, unfavorable counts, but the command was the biggest thing. I mean, you go from 13 walks and two starts to one walk and one start. That's the most impressive thing for me, and, and now I'm more optimistic than I was was previously about his next start yeah it, it was such a good start it's got me thinking he's he's back to himself the the healthy self the guy that we see in 2019 and the beginning of 2021 and I know that you guys are a little less optimistic to that as I am but the fastball command was there as you said wasn't walking guys looked comfortable on the mound honestly the way the slide the way he had commanded the slider in pitchers hell and Coors field was impressive enough to me to where I think if he has another good start I think you're right where you thought he was and that and that's the most important part for me is you have to you have to repeat that performance against the Diamondbacks on Monday when he's projected to start again because this can't just be a one-off, and I don't think it will be. I, I think this was the jumping-off point for Jack Flaherty, but you got to repeat it Monday against Arizona. This is where the pitching staff should start getting back on track. Yesterday should have been a start of what is going to be a trend. You've got Jordan Montgomery on the mound tonight. He has been the guy that has been really consistent already throughout this season. Then you've got Woodford, Matt's, Michaelis in this four-game set against Pittsburgh. We mentioned this earlier, guys. I, I think they should sweep this series. You should at least get three out of these four. Pittsburgh is not a good baseball team right now, and their lineup is a mess with this injury that they sustained with uh, O'Neill Cruz. They've got Carlos Santana, not the guitarist, who's going to be in the lineup batting cleanup for them the majority of this series. That is not a place that you want to be in as a team. They're not very good. Your your pitching staff has shown signs of getting back on track. Now should be where you're able to sustain it. So. I bet they wish the guitarist was in the lineup because they'd think that their offense was more smooth. I mean, you'd at least have a chance to be able to do that. Air five. Come on, he didn't even get that. I got it. I know. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Air five. It's awesome. It Thanks. just wasn't yeah. good. Yes, it was. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Try to do a little better than we did today Whoa. here on 101 ESPN. Let the good times roll.
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.